Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. IFSTA is dedicated to advancing firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, instructor resources, and student study materials. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training content has made us a fire service leader. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. All right, all right. Welcome to another Fire Engineering Podcast, The Training Officer. I'm your host, Dave McGlynn. Uh, for those of you that are new to the show, appreciate you listening in, dialing in, watching. Um, so anyway, we're going to dive right into it. Most of the show, we talk about uh, being a training officer, aspiring training officers, uh, and sh- uh, being a fire instructor, the importance of training firefighters. Uh, we network with people. We talk to leaders from all over the country. Um, I'm, I'm always very particular on who I pick to be on my show. Uh, and, uh, you know, my guest tonight, this is a guy I took classes with when, uh, when he was local to me where I was growing up and, uh, you know, he was, he was a legend, uh, back home. So I was honored to be able to get him on the show. Uh, so my guest tonight is, is chief Ron Canterman. Uh, anybody that doesn't know him is, is, is lost. Uh, chief's been in the, in the business for, for, for a long time. He's been all over. He's got backgrounds with uh, the FDNY. He's got a background working at Merck, where, where I had run into him and met him. Uh, he was at um, uh, the casino in uh, in Connecticut, um, Mohegan Sun, uh, and and now he's back with the city. He's teach. He's taught all over the country, um, and you know he's just a he's an awesome guy to talk to. Anyway, like so, it's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, but like I remember my first year teaching at FDIC, and and he was in a speaker room with me, and and he had kind of put me at ease. And, 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 and I was just real nervous and it was just nice to run into somebody that I had, I had seen before and was comfortable and, and, and familiar with. So, so chief, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show and being a guest and, uh, looking forward to what we're going to do. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Dave. I, I, uh, well, first of all, I, I think congratulations. Are in yeah, order. yeah. Thank you. you. Yeah. My chief of department and, and, you know, I, I I'm one of the few guys who could say, I knew you right. Went. Right, exactly. Right. So, so, so I, I love seeing, I love meeting, you know, all of my, throughout my career, meeting young guys like yourself who, who had the passion and a compassion for the job and, and to do the work. And then now you're chief of department. So that that's great news and congratulations. And I'll tell you what somebody told me when I made chief the first time. They say the fifth horn is the heaviest one to carry, just so you know. Uh, I'm already but, feeling uh, that. I'm all- and I've been in the middle of all those debates, right. you know, with, with the, the fifth horn and, and, uh, I had that chat with the Hoff brothers out of Chicago one time at FDIC. If you want to get back to that later, we can talk about the, <laughs> sure. the fifth one one. And it was really with Bobby Hoff, you know. But uh, congratulations to you. And, and it's 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 really a, a, an honor for me to be on the show with you. Like I said, I love watching young guys grow. And, and throughout my career, as I did all my teachings, I'd love getting that email or a letter, even a letter in the mail. Imagine that. People still putting a stamp on an envelope. How about that? Uh, that uh, I had one, I had a kid track me down from, you know, I taught at Middlesex College for 20 years. And, and uh, I got a letter when I was working in Eastern Connecticut at Mohegan, you know, at that, at the, at work. And it was a student from my fire science classes from 10 or, 10 or 15 years before that. 
uh, or 10 years before that. And he said, Chief, I just wanted you to know that uh, I got hired as a career guy and I'm working here and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, thanks for your, you know, whatever, your encouragement and your knowledge and all that that kind of gushy stuff. But, uh, I, you know, when somebody asked me about teaching adjunct at a college, uh, you know, a couple of people said, oh, God, that's blood money, you know, and, 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 and you know, they, they don't pay spectacular. And yeah. I dragged, I dragged it to Middlesex College on Monday. I was Mr. Monday night. They called <laughs> me over there. Monday nights for 20, for 20 years, yeah. Mr. Monday night. And, and Teddy Goldfarb from, from the city, he was teaching Wednesdays. And, uh, you know, oh, it's blood money. It's this. And, and then you get that letter. And it was all worth yeah. it, you know. For me, you get that letter, you get that email, you get a phone call. You know, you get you get weird phone calls too. Hey, chief, it's me from so from school. Yeah, I remember you. How you doing? I'm retiring. Yeah. No, yeah. you can't. Yeah, yeah, that makes you feel old. Yeah, 25 years shot by my, my my worst, probably my worst age story was I had I had the fire official from Island in my class at Middlesex College. Probably the second year I taught there, 1990, 91, 92, right. and. Uh, and uh, uh, we we made quick friends and and really good guy. And one night he came in and said, "Listen," he said, uh, "I might not make it next week." He said, my, "My wife is like nine and a half months. My kids do any second. If I don't show up, my wife had the baby." Okay. So sure enough, he shows up two weeks later. He walks in. What'd you do? It's a girl. We all gave him a round of applause and all that stuff, right? Twenty years later. Yeah. I got a young lady in my class at Middlesex, Mary. same last name. Mary. Yep. You know who I'm talking oh, yeah. about, okay? Yep. I first night of class, I said to her, "Are you related to yep. Kevin?" And she said, "That's my dad." How cool is that? And I though, said, right? I, remember when you were, I says, "I remember when you were born. Sit down and be right. quiet." You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 20 years later, and now you know the baby came walking in, and it was Mary, by the way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so the time goes by pretty fast. Super the cool. Time goes by fast. Yeah. Good to be sitting here with you tonight. Thank you. I, I appreciate. No, thank that. you. I appreciate thank that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, for for anybody that doesn't know, uh, I I asked the same question to, to to everybody I have on. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, what's your background, and uh, what inspired you to get into the fire service. Uh, I was fifteen. <laughs> I was 15 and I was working in up, upstate New York in, in 10 Mile Road Scout Camp. I was a CIT. I was a, a young kid. And uh, we had a brush fire in the camp. Right? This is a true story. And I put a five-gallon Indian tank on my back. And the rest is history. That was it. I put that Indian tank on my back and, and I ran a half a mile with, with the rest of the guys. We put the fire out. And then the rest of the summer, we kind of formed ourselves into a little brush fire brigade, the staff. And then the next summer we came back and we had shirts and we had hard hats, you know, it just started to grow. But after that first summer, I started hanging around the firehouse in Brooklyn. I, I started, uh, of course, they called me a buff, you know, hey, we got a buff in the house, you know, and I go down there on my bike and my, my about quarter to six, the phone would ring in house watch. And he'd say, and, and a new guy, the guys I hadn't met yet. Your name, Ronnie? Yeah. It's your mother. Go home and the, the dinner's ready. You know, they should hang up on my mom and I drive my bike home. So I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, I hung around the firehouse just, you know, running errands and, and just trying to learn and trying to be a sponge. And at 18, I, I brought in a whole bunch of stuff one night. Uh, it, it was my 18th birthday, you know, and, and uh, it was during the week because, of course, I took the heat for like, hey, you're 18 tonight. You're not out drinking. The drinking age was 18 in New York back then, by the way. <clears throat> and I said, well, Saturday night, I'm going out with my buddies, you know. 
And I brought in cake and all kinds of crap. And with that, the, the captain excused himself from the kitchen. He went up and came down with a package of papers. And he said, if you want to go to fires with us, get these papers made out, go down to fire headquarters, get registered as, as an auxiliary firefighter. And so the, the city had, like they have auxiliary police, they had auxiliary firefighters back then. So I became a volunteer fireman in Brooklyn, actually. And I was assigned to that engine company for five years. And that's where I cut my teeth. And then after that, you know, I'm going to school. I'm going to John Jay, getting my degrees. And then I take the test, all the tests. You take everything. And fire prevention called me. And I got sworn in 1980 as an inspector. Spent nine years there. And then uh, I got a call from a headhunter about going over to Merck as the assistant chief of fire protection. And uh, was at Merck for 20. And then uh, uh, Mohegan Sun for five. Uh, the comp- I wasn't, I was planning on staying at Merck probably my whole life. I was good with being an industrial guy. You know, it was a lot to learn. Uh, we did a lot of different things that municipal fire departments do. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would have stayed. A, a lot of people, you know, you'd see in the company paper, you know, Joe celebrating his 40th service anniversary, 45 years at Merck. It wasn't a bad place to be. You know, it was a pretty good gig. But they started downsizing and buying different companies. And now they're offering, I mean, 20 years, they're offering me a retirement package. It's like, well, I'm too young for that, right. you know. And then another Merck guy sent me a link to the job in uh, in uh, Mohegan. the Mohegan yeah. Sun. So I, I went up there. I took a ride up, and I, I interviewed. A couple of days later, I got the call. You're our guy. And uh, that was like in September of 08. And I, I didn't start till after the holidays. So January of 09, I went up to Connecticut. Spent five years at Mohegan. Had a nice little career department up there. I had 45 people. You went to a, a town also, right? I'm, I apologize. I left that out. When you left Mohegan, you stayed in Connecticut on a job for a little bit, right? Yeah. After, after Mo- Mohegan was five years. And then uh, after that, I went to the town of Wilton, that Connecticut. Was it. Yeah, well, yeah. Mohegan was at, at, at the, if you're looking at Connecticut, it, it's a rectangle. Mohegan was at the, at the right-hand easternmost line right next to Rhode Island. And Wilton was at the left line right next to Westchester County, New York, which is where I live. We moved back to Westchester, my wife and I, and I would sneak across the border every day and go to work. So that was that. So did five years in Wilton, Connecticut as the chief. I had a, had a small career department as well and a nice upscale town. The the uh, That was a good gig. And I got done there in 19 at Wilton. Uh, they, were, they were looking to change direction. They were looking for a new chief or whatever. Uh, so uh, I, I went to work. I've been all this time. I've been doing 25 years with the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And they had an opening for a, like a kind of a part-time contract of education and, and, uh, and uh, you know, a training development, pro- uh, developing training programs and things. So just as I got wound down with, with Wilton, I, I went on to the staff at the Fallen Firefighters Foundation, worked from home, did some traveling through 19, and then 2020 came and everybody stayed home after that. Mm. And I worked from the house. I, I got my work done. And then, of course, we plan the next uh, Memorial Weekend together uh, over, you know, for Zoom. With over Zoom, we didn't have Memorial Weekend in 2020 because of COVID. Yeah. And then uh, we did a two-year ceremony in 2021. Uh, this coming May, by the way, will be my 25th anniversary with Memorial Weekend, and it'll be my last Memorial Weekend. I'm stepping aside for, for fresh blood and a new guy. Uh, I've had a guy at my side for a good couple of years. He's dynamite. He's younger than me. He's got the strength to do it. And uh, so uh, this will be my last, this will be 25 years with the foundation and my last one more as the incident commander. I've been incident commander for six years. So uh, that, that that's me. I, I've been to school. I've been a student my whole life. Right. And, and, and there's a message I'd like to put out 
to those listening. I've been a student my whole life. Uh, I went to college a couple of times and, uh, and, and I, and I still, I still listen and I go to certain seminars and I read, uh, I became an avid reader in my older age. And that's, that's a message I want to send out later on about, about reading, uh, whatever you can get your hands on it. It's funny. I had a mentor. I was lucky enough to have a mentor when I started college. I was 17. I started John Jay college. I was going for my fire science degree and he was a, a young officer in the New York City Fire Department teaching, and he took me under his wing. We're still friends. Jimmy, I think, is 82 or 84. He lives in Florida. We still correspond. His name was Jim Murtog. Uh, he did a ton of writing, um, taught at FDIC for many years, uh, was chief of training in New York City, and uh, we're still friends, a lifelong mentorship, lifelong friendship and mentorship. And he said to me when I was 17, 18, read something every day, touch this thing every single day. So We'll talk more about that later on. But that's me. Uh, 49 years. Uh, I'm working on my fifth. October will be 50 years from when that that captain gave me the papers to become an auxiliary yeah, firefighter. That's awesome. It was October 74. October 74. So, uh, yeah, I'm working on 50 years. Yeah, but I, I tell awesome. you, Dave, I got to tell you, I, every, even today, you know, being around longer than 20 minutes and all that stuff, I still whistle going into work in the morning. And I did it. Whistle. I whistled into the firehouse every day, up until nineteen, when I was in the firehouse for thirty years. And now I'm back with the city, and I and I, I look forward to going to work in the morning. Right. You know, uh, a lot of guys out there saying, "Wow, what's wrong with him?" You know, you get a life. I got a life. I got a wife for forty five years. Right. She's a wonderful gal. I got a married daughter. She lives in Pennsylvania. I got a life. But this this is this is my other passion. Man. Yeah. No, I, I I love it. You said that because. I just got the chief's job and already uh, things are already becoming challenging. They're already becoming consuming mentally. And, um, <clears throat> and I just, I appreciate you saying that it wasn't even like part of what we were going to cover just because it, it gives me a perspective, you know, you're, you're doing this going to be 50 years. And like you said, you know, you, you still whistle going into work that thank you for saying that. Cause that, that helps me. Cause this past week has been, I'm like, man, I don't know if I really want to do this. You know what I mean? Like my whole career, I worked toward this, and now I'm like, well, you know, maybe not. <laughs> well, what happens is when when you when you when you get the fifth horn and, and they pin that badge on you, it, that reality sets uh-huh. in. That wait, the buck stops here. That's what happened to me. I, I went into Merck. I was the assistant chief fire protection. Blah blah blah. There was a fire chief there, and I'm going to the meetings, and I'm the front man, and I'm going doing this, and I'm. We're designing fire protection. We're doing all everything. Hazmat, you name it. We're doing everything. And then they decide five years into my stay, they're going to make him the corporate fire chief for the whole world for Merck and give me the facility in Raleigh mm-hmm. as the chief. And everything was great for five years. And they stuck that badge on my shirt. And I went home and looked in the mirror and I said, what did you do? Same thing. Same reaction you had. You know, but you know what? You, 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 you take a deep breath mm-hmm. and, you, and you say what you said. I worked my whole life for this. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, it wasn't, you know, really a long time, but I, I, I worked my whole life. And, and by the way, in, in the middle of all that stuff that I was talking about, I was also a volunteer fireman in North Plainfield. Right. So I ran, I ran 11 years in North Plainfield. As a, I have a combination department. I ran 11 years as a coalman in North Plainfield mm-hmm. while I was the chief at Merck. Uh, fu- funny, quick story, side story. I was president of Union County Chiefs for two years, from 95 to 97. And I, and I joined... I joined uh, North Plainfield, I believe it was 97, October 90s, just about when I'm at the end of my reign as the chief. 
of the as the president of the Chiefs. And uh, I came in and under, I waited till good and welfare at the end of the meeting. And I raised my hand and I said, uh, I got something under good and welfare. I became a volunteer firefighter. You did? Yeah, where? North Plainfield. Oh, okay. Uh, so so what's your status with the fire department? I says, I'm a probie. So they called me Chief Proby for like five years. That's awesome. That was, that was my, it comes to Chief Proby, you know. And, and I, I tell you, the guys in North Plainfield, small department, small career department, those guys knew how to kick ass and take names right. with a small crew. I mean, and I've and I, and I seen it again later in my career in Wilton, you know, pulling up with six six or seven or eight guys and, and just doing the magic that they did with that many guys. It, it was amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing thing to see. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I you know, the, the – the buck, the buck stops at your desk now, and, and that's that's a big reality. I know for the for the, the men and women aiming for the top, you know. But you know, with that with that comes comes the fact that whoever made you chief, and this is on a broad base for the, across the country for the, those chiefs are sitting. The people who offered you that chief's position had the confidence and the faith in the fact that you know what you're doing, and you know you, you're going to bring the department to the next level. So. You earned it. You know, you have to enjoy it. Absolutely. Try to enjoy it. That's what I'm going to tell you. Right. Try to enjoy it. I appreciate it. that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you know, most of the, the show, everybody knows, you know, the show we talk about uh, a number of different things that are mostly revolved around training, but obviously we encompass some some leadership stuff in there uh, because anybody that knows or follows anything that I do, I always say training officers are leaders too, right? So uh, it's extremely important that, that we do cover that aspect of it. So in tonight's episode, we're going to cover the roles and responsibilities of the training officer. Uh, so for you, Chief, you know, what are some of the roles and responsibilities of a training officer? And then what do you think some of the challenges are to training faces today, training probies today, you know, how they learn, how do we teach them? Uh, you know, the innate. So they learn. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I let, let's if we can, let's break it. Let's break it up into sure. two segments. Let's talk about the training officer and, and and what I think that that person should look like. Number one, number one, you have to be well prepared. If you are unprepared to do your job, it's obvious, even to the novice, even to the novice, even to the new person new guy, probie, whatever you want to call that, that person sitting in the seat, okay? Because if you're not prepared and you, you're stumbling around up there in front of that classroom or out on a fire ground, you know, getting ready to do a bar, whatever it is, it's obvious to all. Because I, I, I don't think we can sell the, the young people short today. They're not stupid. They're just uninformed. They're not stupid. These are smart kids. Most of the kids coming into the job today, uh, volunteer and career. I, mean, I call the job. It's everything, volunteer and career. Coming into the, they got college degrees. Then, then they're not, you know, they're not going from digging ditches to into the fire. They got college degrees. Okay, so they're not stupid, and and we shouldn't underestimate their abilities. And and they can easily see if you're not prepared. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna, the the, the fire instructor has to be prepared and on their game, no matter what. Even when you have a bad day, okay, you got to go. If you're teaching at night, you walk in there, you lock it out. You lock it out and, and you, you do what you got to do and you get, you know, you make your points and, and, and it's okay not to know something. That's the other thing. It's okay not to know. Hey, chief, what about this? Well, you know what? I, I never came across that before. But uh, so I would do two things. I would have that, that the kid who asked me that, I'd have, all right, you got homework. You look right. that up. Find and bring that information back. for me. Yeah, or I would do it. I'd say, you know what? I'll find out. I'll, I'll bring it back. So, or a combination thereof. You, you, you research it. I'll research it. 
we'll put our heads together next week. We'll give the class a final jeopardy yeah, answer. Yeah. But being prepared, being prepared is 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 hands down number one. The second thing for me is you have to set the example. Walk the walk, talk the talk, all that. There's a million cliches. I know them all by heart. I wrote half of them, right? But you, you, you have to. And even when it comes down to like, you know, they're on a break, whether it's classroom break, they're in the hallway, or they're at the fire ground and they, they just got their coats off and, they, and they're, they're talking about whatever they're talking about. You know, you have to really, um, um, uh, I don't want to say control, but really tame your thoughts because you're the, you're the person, okay, that is introducing these young people into the fire service. And if you get into political discussions, you get into sexual discussions, right. whatever it is, that today is unacceptable. And it's a it's, listen, it's a different fire service and it's a different country we live mm. in t- today than we ever lived in before. Sure. Okay. But if you're going to engage in those conversations, I, I'll give you another example, uh, uh, just in terms of setting an example. And this is just Ron. Okay? I taught for many years at the National Fire Academy in Emmitsburg. Six-day classes, get down there Saturday, class starts on Sunday. We're done by Friday, blah, blah, blah. Every night, I spent an hour or two at the pub with my class. I didn't have a drink. I wouldn't touch it the whole week. And I would tell them, the last night of class, okay, if you want to go out into town, we, we go to that, that uh, very little old place called Hot House. Very little, very little yeah. known. Yeah. I, I, I will have a cocktail with you on the last night. Because you know what? I've seen instructors – Go out and tank up every night with the with the with the students, right. and I thought that was unprofessional. Well, I say they hit all the uns: unprofessional, uncalled for, unwarranted, un on everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing that, you know. I mean, the last night I raise a glass, we have a cocktail together, a cocktail, yeah. not ninety nine, not fall down drunk, none of that stuff, you know. And 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 so you have to really, you don't want to be sticking the mud, you don't want to be that, you know, you don't want to be that guy, yeah. you know, but. But there's certain things we can do as instructors, as fire instructors, to set that example. And I and I'd go out with them, and I go to the pub or whatever, you know, on campus. You know, I have a diet coke. Yeah, I'm good. Smart. You want to have a beer? The last night of class, I have a beer with you. Yeah, as a congratulatory you know? thing too, not just accepting yeah, exactly. them as comrades, but you know, as like a send off. You know. Yeah, I like that. We'll, we'll toast them. I'll tell you what a nice job you did all week, and, and or, or where you stunk. You know, and we kind of came right. around like that. I said. I'll, I'll have a drink with you the last night of class. I don't have to get tanked up with you guys during it. Because now, first of all, I got to be on a podium eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's number yeah. one. You know, I'm not walking in there hungover. No. And then I got to have a chat with the superintendent or the deputy super or somebody. I can't be smelling like booze. That's another thing, you know. So, and, and I'm, trust me when I tell you, I'm not a prude. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Everything goes in Brooklyn, New York, right? But, but I, you have to know where to set your limits. Right. So, whether it's discussion on a break with your students, you know, uh, Chief, what do you think? Of, you know, the uh, the, uh, the 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 Biden Trump thing. I said, you know what? One's going to win and one's going to lose. That's always my <laughs> great answer. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Or or I tell them, I'd say, what's your last name? Oh, my name is uh, uh, Smith. I'm I'm going to write you in. I'm going to write you in. I'm going to write you in. Yeah, right. Yeah. You sound like you got a lot of so, good ideas. So, just, <laughs> so set setting that example is key. And and again. Being prepared, I think th- those are the two biggest things. Uh, and and you know what? It, it's <clears throat> I did a class. I did a when the Everyone Goes Home program was was uh, uh, developed back in two thousand four at a Tampa conference. Mm-hmm. 
I, I went out. I was part of a New Jersey team myself, Jimmy David out of Union. We were doing that. We were doing those four-hour classes. We did them for like three years. We were doing four four a week at night, volunteer career departments. We were all over New Jersey, spreading the word, spreading the gospel right. about being safe and all that stuff. And I got I got pulled into uh, uh, a career department in North Central Jersey. And it was a three-shift system. So they asked me to come in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, catch each shift at night. The first shift walks in. They were late, but they called the firehouse where the room was. They said, let the instructor know we're going to be late. We had a job. We're cleaning up. Okay. That's why we're here, right? So I had an extra cup of coffee or two. And then uh, the first guy to arrive was the shift deputy. This was a career department with uh, probably 35 firefighters on duty. Okay. Four on a rig, you do the math. Yeah. So the deputy is, is the shift commander. This guy walked in. It was the summertime. I get it. It was hot. He walked in in a white undershirt, not even a, a blue navy blue with a Maltese, a white T-shirt, something you wear under your uniform every day like I do. His, his blue duty pants were washed 10,000 times. They were purple. And he was wearing sneakers. Oh. This was the shift commander. I looked at this guy and said, this is going to be a long night. Right. And you know what? What do you, Dave? What do you think the rest of the shift looked like when they walked well, in? I'm sure they probably look like slobs too, because they're they're following their lead on it. They look just like right. him. So it was a long night, right? So now I'm calling back the second night, and it was like, oh no, not again. It's the next guy, the deputy walked in. He looked like he was out of central casting. Right. You know, Scorsese called. I need a deputy fire right, chief. This guy, this guy walked in. You can cut. You can cut your finger on the crease on his pants. Nice. The whole bit, haircut, shave. What do you think the rest of the shift looked they like? They looked like him. Yeah. And you know, I never forget that. That was years ago. So it 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 stuck with me that 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 setting that example and setting the tone. It it works. It absolutely yeah. works. You know, my we when we run we run uh uh probationary classes, we just put fifty fire inspectors on. We we have the biggest fire prevention bureau in the United States. We have six hundred and fifty people in fire prevention. Okay, so we just we do classes of fifty. So we did. We graduated fifty in June. We graduated another fifty two weeks ago. Okay. When I go there to teach, and and I do a couple of things. We have a, we have our own academy. Fire prevention has its own academy. We have our own staff. But I teach probably four or five modules. Okay, and I not because I'm teaching that day, but my uniforms are always pressed. They're starched. Okay, and 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 they always comment. Somebody always comment. Oh, you look sharp. You look. This this is. Pride, pride, integrity, all that that setting the example. You know, when when they when they say that to me, even the probies, I'd say to them, so don't ever look like you slept in your uniform when you come to work. You know, that kind of stuff. And that and I got that I I started that when I was a chief back at Merck even. Because I my thing was how can I call a guy in to my office who looks like he slept in his uniform if I look like I slept in my uniform? Okay. Do you have to go to the cleaners to bring your shirts? You don't have to, but buy an iron. You know, get an iron and make sure that that you look pretty much wrinkle free. Right. Rather I can than I can attest that you held that standard because uh, Timmy Meckler. You know, you hang out with him off duty, and and you know he looks like Timmy, but when he worked, he he looked apart when he was at work. You know, and I know Ray probably held the same standard, but it's just that's the truth. You know that that's that's the type of standard you hold when you're at when you're on duty. You're a professional. You represent the organization. So yeah. Now, when I when I first before Timmy came to work for us full time at Merck, he was a volunteer and he was a chemical operator. Mm-hmm. 
And and as a chemical operator, he had his, he had his shirt sleeves cut off, and he had you know he always had long hair. He rode a motorcycle and all that. That's okay. You know, you put a, you put an Omex hood on, your hair is covered. Right, I'm happy, right. right? But then and then he came to work as a full time fire guy on the facility, and I said that doesn't work for me, man. I said you he's they will talk about dedicated died in the wall guys. Here's a guy who bleeds fire oh, service, he's a great right? Right, been a volunteer for forty years. He worked at Merck for 35. The guy's, I mean, just died in the wool guy. But I said, I, on top of everything else, you know, we're, we're dealing, we're at Merck, we're dealing with scientists, corporate vice presidents. You can't go walking in on, an odor, on a smell or an odor or an automatic alarm into the VP's office looking like you. <laughs> and he, he said, he said, I understand. Yeah. I said, okay. I says, and, and here's how we fixed, here's how I fixed Timmy. Everybody wants to know the secret, how Ron Cantman fixed Timmy, right? I gave him responsibility. I gave him some responsibility. Mm-hmm. I said, I- I'm going to need you to do something for the fire department. And and actually, it was like he, we made him like our chief engineer in charge of like uh, supplies, equipment, uh, making sure the rigs are fueled, all that's because that's what he complained about the most. And when he would complain, the guys would tune him out. Eh, he's just yelling and screaming. No, he, th- that's passion. Yeah. yeah. He's, 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 I said, so we put him in charge of it. The stuff he bitched about, we put him in charge right. of it. And he did a phenomenal job. And the following Monday, when he came to work, he had a haircut. I'm, t- I had, I, I'm the guy who had Timmy cut his hair. I didn't tell him to cut his hair, but I'm the guy responsible for him getting a haircut. Long sleeve shirt, pressed the whole, the whole mm-hmm. bit. So, you know, it depend- it, yeah, and, and that comes with experience in, in reading people and knowing what their needs are. And 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 if you don't have that yet as a chief, you will, mm-hmm. you will. It just takes time. It takes time to develop those those little skills. And no one wants making people tick. No. Right. A lot of people wrote him off as a big mouth. I looked at it as passion. Yeah. Guys screaming up and down. We're coming back from from jobs or incidents, and they're not filling the rig back up with diesel fuel, the guy who was driving, and he's screaming about that. That's because it's important. Mm-hmm. Not refilling the booster tank. That's because it's important. So, you know, we, we, we put him in charge. But it goes – everything we're kind of talking about goes back to setting that example. Right. No matter who you are – of course, the higher you go in the organization, you, you got to really make an effort. But for an instructor, because that's what people remember. They, they remember who their instructor was at fire school. It's like, right. I remember I had this guy. He was straight up. He was knowledgeable. He was this. He dressed sharp. You know, there was a chief uh, back in, in, the, in the city. I never met him. Uh, his name was Tom Galvin. He was chief of the fire academy. And he had, he had a thing for his instructors. Act sharp. Be sharp. Look sharp. Think sharp. It was always about being sharp, you know, and he'd look at his instructors and say, go to the locker room, put another shirt on, buddy. You're not teaching. In a, even proby school, you know, it was about being sharp. He had all the shops down. Yeah, that was his thing. But I, I, I can't disagree. I, I can't disagree. And, and the, the other thing I think, the one, another thing we, that we're talking about with instructors is, is having the responsibility. It's a big responsibility. Being a fire instructor because number one, you're taking young, impressionable minds who probably know nothing about this, and you're going to put them on the path to success. Mm-hmm. And and it's listen, it's a life and death situation. You know, it's that uh, this is major league stuff. We know that. Right. You know, and I heard somebody saying, now I'm using it. You know, you when you pick a major in college, you don't you don't major in your minor. You major in the majors. You know, and we're in the majors, right? So you major in the majors. I like that. You know, and and. and yeah, I took it and I stole it and I'm using yeah, it. So it's a good one. I like it. Yeah. So you major in the major. So so it, th- th- you're looking at this guy or this woman up in the front of the room 
who's teaching you and you're hanging and you probably should be hanging on every word they're saying. Okay. And, and with that, it, it, that person has to be, have the responsibility to take care of those problems. Like basically like we, like with our Academy, we do a 14 week Academy for our fire inspectors. Okay. And, and, and we, the, my Academy director, um, my, my job, and I'll get to my job, but, but I'm responsible for education and professional development for the entire, for the Bureau. Whether, they, whether they're inspectors, they could be analysts, they could whatever. So education and professional development. But uh, So we have an academy director. He's got a, a group of full-time instructors, and then we have adjuncts from the bureau that will come and teach for a day. That might be like a deputy chief inspector or a chief inspector. They'll come in and they'll do something. So what their mantra is, what their mantra is, is these are our probies. We're going to take care of them. Until we turn them over to the operating units, and they're responsible for it. They go out. We're responsible for them for their uniforms, getting them all their uniform, the quartermaster, their books, their code books, their their iPads, everything that goes with the iPad, their cell phones. Everybody gets an iPad and a cell phone today as soon as they get hired. Right. So iPads, our inspections are all done electronically on iPad. It goes as soon as they hit they hit the thing, it flies at the headquarters, and then. Then the, the, the bill goes out to the owner. They get billed, by the way. We, we bill for everything. Nice. Uh, violations, get, violations get chucked out. I mean, it's it's a pretty neat system. So, uh, But at the end of the day, where we the, the, I say, keep saying we're because I'm kind of – I'm joined at the hip with the academy guys. We're responsible for those lady, those men and women until we, we're not, or until we're not. And then we, we try to impress upon our coworkers, listen, you're responsible for these people. Yeah, we know, we know. So, but it's, it's, it's a, and, and part of that responsibility is not only seeing to their needs, like any firefighters or anybody, but uh, giving them support and, and following rules and regs. You know, how, we just had, we just had, I don't remember what, where it was, Dave, you might, you might remember. They had a probie who died in probie school because he said he couldn't breathe and he was he was I think in a confined space tunnel or something, and they were saying yeah get over it you'll make it and then the kid died mm-hmm. you know and then if we flip back ten or fifteen years ago maybe to Lairdsville New York where they did the flashover and they no, burned it was, up the kid it was up actually there, you know? I'm gonna make you feel old it was um, twenty almost twenty two years ago Lairdsville Lairdsville yeah yeah yeah. Oh boy! Isn't that crazy? Right. Well, I'm getting to that point because it is not crazy, rest yeah. is so. But before before Woods passed, you know, I was up in West Point for for a little bit, um, and uh, and I used to go up to to the uh, the New York State Fire Academy, and and, and Tom, uh, you know, Chief Woods, he was he was the 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 chief investigator for that whole thing. He's the one that put all that stuff out about 1403. After that, you know, Tom was the one right. that like right. he kind of he kind of like was pretty unpopular for a lot of guys on how to do these live burns because it, he was like, this is BS. We should not be doing it this way. So I would, anytime I would talk to chief Woods, I would pick his brain about that. And like, I like that. Yep. I think that happened in, I want to say like Oh two Oh three was when that happened with that kid. <sighs> yeah. That's how long ago it was. It's crazy. Right. Because I remember, you know, like I had just joined the fire service. I was only in the fire service a few years when that happened, you know, and it's been that long since that happened. Yeah. And it feels like it was that new. Yeah, though. And, and for, for the men and women who are watching this this podcast, look up Laird's L A I R D Lairdsville, New York, and they do they did a training fire and they flashed over the facility and and I believe that they, they killed they killed one kid yeah one kid or they just burned the one kid died uh, they used him as a live victim one fatality. he was an explorer yep. or something the, like the, that so, so here, here's the upshot of Lairdsville, ladies and gentlemen 
The assistant chief of the Lairdsville Fire Department, who was in charge of the training exercise that day, went to jail for manslaughter. Right. Yes, he did. Okay. And they convicted him. They convicted him not based on a law. They convicted him based on on 1403, yep. Understand. which is a, a nationally recognized standard. They convicted him on a standard, yes, not even a law. Yep. So, so if you're doing this kind of work, you have to be very cognizant to the fact. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw it back again. When I was president of county chiefs in Union County, I stopped by the fire academy on a Saturday. And we ran the Union County chiefs. We ran the fire academy in Union County. Now they got a county fire marshal. They got a, a director. They got they, and they got a beautiful facility. Finally, I, I, I was just there recently, and 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 I and, I, and then I, I spoke at, at their probate graduation three weeks ago, and I said, the county got my memo from 1995. You know, it's, they finally got my memo from from back then. But they got a beautiful facility. I'm really happy for them guys. But back then, the Union County Chiefs was a third party contractor, and we'd get money from the county to run the academy. I went down there on a Saturday. I cut. I took an old fence down around my house and put it into the back of my wagon. And they would, you know, they would burn it down. They just get rid of the wood. And I went down there, and there's two fire departments down there working out. And two or three of the deputy chiefs in some of the these these two fire departments, they got full face beards, and they're masking up to go into the burn building. So I walked over to the instructor. So I knew, I knew everybody. You know, it's, this was my job, right? And I said, uh, "What's going on?" Oh, so-and-so departments here, this department's, they're doing joint exercise, they're going in the burn building. Bar. I said, look at those three guys. Is, is that a problem for anybody here? And they looked at me and I said, they got full facial hair. I said, OSHA doesn't allow. I said, you can't put them in our burn building. Oh, geez, but they had a million excuses why they wanted to do it. I said, stop, time out, time out. I grabbed the three guys, the three deputies. There were two volunteer departments. Two guys from one department, one guy from another. I said, you guys can't go in a burn building. We can't? No. You got full facial hair. OSHA doesn't allow it. You have to have a good seal. I said, well, we were already in. I said, okay, you had your one shot. You, you want to go in again? Grab a razor and a can of shaving cream and start doing your thing. You can't go in a burn building here in the county. We're responsible for you when you step into that, but when you step onto these fire grounds. Yeah. Know? So it's about knowing the rules, the regulations, and the laws. And sometimes you got to be that guy, like you were talking about, the guy from Montour Falls. Right. Sometimes you got to be that guy, but hey, you got to be able to put your head down on the pillow. With right, too, right, right. You know, it's funny. Uh, another one. He was a he was a he he was a ball breaker for me growing up. But like uh, Carl Christensen, right? So you remember Carl? So you know, yeah. in in Island, uh he used to tell us we weren't allowed to ride the truck. We were volunteers if we weren't shaved. Carl used to have uh, 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 disposable razors, the old Bic ones, you know, and he would make (laughs) you shave. And he made me wet shave one time with just uh, water because I didn't have no shaving cream Uh, because I had, you know, like what I have now. I'm off duty right now. But like so I became such a stickler for that because of him breaking my balls about it so much. He'd say, hey, you better get in there and shave that shit off, you know, so. (laughs) So, so uh, like now, like I'm on the career side, like, you know, the guys, I'll say to the guys like, oh, you got a little dirt rubbed on your face over there. You might want to go rub that off. Like that's my passive aggressive way of being like, yo, you better go shave your face. I got it. And I still, because I'm in PA now. So I see people, it's like, you know, they're a little not up to, not up to date. You know, there's a lot of them still doing. I'm sitting here. I'm like, bro, I remember being a volunteer. In the suburbs and knowing like Coral would have kicked my ass if I had a beard, you know? 
So like, I don't know how these guys yeah, think they can do I, it. What I, what I did in my departments is is uh, I would uh, I would take a credit card or a bank card out of out of my wallet, and I walk over to a guy and give him the old scrape off like that. What are you doing? I said, well, as I'm trying to get the hair off your face with the plastic card, it doesn't work. Awesome. I says the blade works much better. Right. You know, that's awesome. So they, you know, and, and sometimes <clears throat> the guys will be coming in for a shift, you know, on, on these career departments I worked at, and they they're getting in a little bit early because they got to, you know, they were off three days, whatever. They got to shower, shave, get ready. So I'd walk over to a guy like he's he's due on duty at seven in the morning, so it's six thirty, and I give him the rub with the card. He'd say, "I'm on my way to locker room, boss. I'm on my way to okay. That's awesome. Don't forget." You know, and then one time one guy says, I shaved yes, I shaved last night. And some guys, they got a heavy beard, so they, they got to shave every four right, hours, right, like, right. you know. So I shaved last night. I said, well, you know what your problem is? You didn't stand close enough to the blade, I told him. So <laughs> you got to go through it again, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, you know, you, you, you don't want to break shoes, but you got, you, at the end of the day, every everything is fine. Everything is great until something happens. Right. Until something happens, right? Like those guys with the beards in the burn building, they they, they were fine. Until some one of them goes down, right. even if he's not related, he has a heart attack in the burn building. Okay, and then this whole investigation is going to ensue. They're going to see that he so couldn't get a, a proper seal. They'll try to say that that's tied to it somehow. This guy had a heart attack, and plus he had a full beard. You let him in your burn building? I said, no, 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 no. So yeah, and those that that was that was a pretty hot discussion at the next Chiefs meeting, by the way. You threw those two, those three guys out. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but I did. You yeah. know, so it, it kind of. But but I, I think overall, I think the top three set the example. Know your stuff, and know your rules and regulations, and and you you you'll be you'll be a, a good. And and you got to practice, by the way. Yeah, we just we just pulled in 15, 15 adjuncts from different parts of fire prevention, and we had them out to our academy for the day. And and we we let them each teach for five minutes, and then we critiqued them, you know, and all. It, and it was a kind of a it was a real critique, a little bit of fun, you know, uh, you know. Hey, you, you didn't look at us. You start you stared at the screen the whole time, and and some of them are doing it for the first time, but they really want to. They they feel that they can they can uh, benefit from becoming an instructor, and you do. Yeah. I, I had a young kid ask me at the college one time, Chief, how do you know this stuff like right off the top of your head? I said, you want to be that. If you want to be good at it, you got to teach. Yeah. I said, I've been teaching. It was it was a suppression systems class, sprinkler, standpipe, stranger, dry chemical, wet chemical, all that shit. I said, I've been teaching this for thirty years. If you want to get good at it, teach it, become an instructor. So we got guys coming to us now. I want to be an instructor, and and we're, we're working with them, and we're we're starting our continuing education uh, uh, semester next week, and each one of us is pulling in an adjunct with us. And we're going to kind of bring them along the way. But it's about being prepared, knowing your stuff, setting that example. Key. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. You know, it's interesting because uh, people don't realize either like um, <clears throat> uh, it's good to gain that constructive criticism from somebody that is an instructor. Like I had a guy that knew more about EMS and hazmat than I'll never know in my life. So he's my SME. I have him lead those training sessions at, at work, right? But when he first would teach, he used to do this all the time. I said, what's what's wrong? Your chin's having a conversation with your chest? I said, pick your head up. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, like you're, the, you're the SME. I'm not. You know, but I bet you if I was teaching this class, I'm going to know the material, like you said, in and out. The best way to learn everything there is to know about something, providing you're not a lazy person, 
is is right. to instruct it because you learn everything you need to know about that shit. So you don't have to keep looking back at slides and saying on them um, and then yep. letting the class hijackers, you know, the, the resident expert that's sitting in the class that wants to tell you every war story there is and take over the classroom. You know, you 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 forfeit your right to instruct when you don't learn your material, like you said before, about being prepared. So, you know, just the things you're saying, like for the for the listener, you know, you've been doing this forever. You know, and you do and you've done it at every different dynamic in college levels and fire academies with, with big cities, with industrial stuff. You know, you own the room. You are a direct representative of the development of, of, of everybody that's with within within your reach, whether it's uh, on the job training or, or, or early stages. You know, a lot of times um, I've, I've, I've noted Craig Spurko. um in my podcasts and, and stuff like that, you know, to the point that I didn't even know he was still on a job. He's still working in Irvington as a chief. Now he reached out to me on Facebook. Now we're friends on Facebook because somebody told him like, Hey, like Dave McGlynn's like on fire engineering, talking about you like good stuff. You know, <laughs> Craig didn't come and try to kick my ass or nothing, but no, but because, you know, when I was going through Middlesex fire Academy, and I'm not knocking anybody cause I love all the instructors, but like, you know, I had a problem with um, searching. And it was just, you know, I would freak out when they would put the, the hood over you and you go through the maze over there and in the high rise and everything. And I would freak out. And I don't know if they're trying to weed me out or not, but they just were almost like kind of making a mockery of it. And after we were done, Craig took the time to work with me and like hard love coached me through it, but hard. I mean, you know, he didn't let me, you know, yeah. like I try to lift up my hood to see if I could like, and he'd be right there. Like you better put that hood down, you know? And I'll tell you like, we're going on 23 years for me, not to make you feel old or nothing, Chief. <laughs> but, you know, we're going on 23 years for me. Yeah, you're welcome. But, you know, like, I, uh, none of this happens if if a guy like that doesn't take the time. And I try to pass it on to people's like, you know, Absolutely. everybody works for a great chief and a bad chief. Everybody works for a great, you know, uh, a boss, a leader, captain, lieutenant, whatever, and a bad one. But instructors, they can really make or break the future of the person. I always say, you know, training officers, instructors don't get enough credit um, for the people that were great in our, in our thing. You know, uh, I would have quit early on if, uh, if a guy like Craig, who didn't know me from Adam, I mean, even though we we're both from Woodbridge Township, like I didn't know him. You know what I mean? I was a new probie in right. Island. I don't even know if he was volunteering in Colonia anymore. I know he's on a job in Irvington, you know, uh, the fact that he took the time to work with me and let me get through it, you know, here now, 23 years later, I'm a chief of my department. I wrote a book. I'm, I'm FDIC allows me to come and teach and I write for fire engineering, doing a podcast, you know, and then even yourself. And I, I'm not trying to take away from the show, but just like I was going to end it with this on the impact of, but we just got on it because you were talking about it. So like I knew who you were because you were at Merck, right? But I still have the first class I ever took with you because uh, Bennett was trying to put back together the Woodbridge Township Fire Academy, and you were the first person we brought back to teach. They ran a class at Avenel, and uh, and we did a uh, a fire a, a fire prevention related class. And since I took that class, um, it was uh, arson awareness was what it was that you taught. And since I taught, took that class, I've always had a passion for fire prevention. I went and enrolled in fire inspector. I, you were talking uh, before we started the show about the red book, you know, uh, the, the Jersey state fire code. I, I, I yep. still have my red book. I haven't gotten updates in years cause I moved years ago, you know, um, 
in the DOD, like I went and took inspector one, two, and three, which is, you know, pro board, which is uh, similar to having fire official and all that back home, you know? And it's like you, your class, and I'm not knocking fire prevention because it's extremely important, but for us, like for firemen, right? You made that class so interesting and so exciting with the way you just, you talked about stuff and described it and your passion for it that I got hooked, that I fell in love with that side of the house. You know what I mean? Like, like, and then when I went through fire inspector, you know, having, having guys like Kevin Wirtz who knew everything there was to know about that. God rest his soul, Donnie Guntner, you know, who, you know, he knew a lot about fire prevention, you know, I mean, you know, he, he probably wrote the code originally, but, you know, um, you know, having Fr- Frank Petro being one of my instructors in Middlesex, you know, it, you fall in love with this. You, you learn the history of fire, of fire prevention and, and all that. And, and that started with you. And I, I share that story, not to put you on a spot, but like for the listener, like the instructor is so dynamic. We went years from, from not seeing each other anymore. I knew you from Merck. You know, if you bumped into me, you probably recognized my face, but you were like, yeah, hey, I think he's one of them kids from Island. But I always knew who you were. And years later, I move out of Jersey. I know you went up to Mohegan Sun. You left. And then I ran into you the first year I ever taught at FDIC. And, and it was like I sat with you and we talked for like, I don't even know, a few hours in a speaker room. And, um, you know, it was just like, it was like, like, that's why I try, I try to tell people, like, even if you got an hour and a half lecture with somebody or if you're teaching somebody, you know, in a whole academy setting, like you got to watch what you say and how you conduct yourself because they're listening and they're impressionable people. And you could make or break the future of, of a fire service leader. If you, if you just have a bad day, like you said before, you, you leave that shit at home. Now you got to be on your game for the class, you know? Um, so I just, I wanted to say it. I'm sorry. just, I wanted to throw it out there before it left my brain because I got so much other shit swimming around. And I put that fifth horn on, <laughs> but but I do. I want to thank That's you, carried. and I want the audience to know. Yeah, no shit. But I want the audience to know. I want the listener to know. You know, like you aspire to be a train officer. You are a train officer. Everything you do matters. They're watching. You know, I, I got a lot. Yeah, of- yeah I, 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 I I agree, Dave. That, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate your kind words. I really do. Uh, to, to to me, to me, I I always approached. Every single class, I still do. I'm still teaching. I'm teaching for the Division of Fire Safety in New Jersey for 35 years, okay. And I still approach those classes, you know. And I've heard the guys have talked about other instructors in that system, saying like, "Oh, I took this class two weeks ago with so and so, and it was like it was the longest five hours of my life." And and to me, it's like, all right, you, you have to get your CEUs, you have to get your, your your stuff. Why not? Why not? There's two things that's important to me when 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 you come to my class. Have a good time and learn something. That that's it. Have a good time and learn something. And and don't get caught up in the in the baloney. You know, when you, you talked about the uh the guy that takes over the class. If if it's your room, you gotta be in charge of that room. And I one of my leadership one of my leadership uh programs I do, we, we run our own uh uh, when when they, when they make lieutenant in New York City, they, they go to first line supervisors training program, which starts in Montour Falls. The New York City Fire Department, they run the first line supervisor for the entire state. So they have all the upstate lieutenants come down for, for school, and they do the New York City lieutenants as well. So, and and any given day uh, over in Fort Totten in Queens, there's cars from uh, Newburgh and and. Uh, Niagara Falls and Rochester and all these places. So they, they do. So they have the, they have the upstate lieutenants and they have the city lieutenants in two different groups. And 
they're rocking and rolling there 12 months a year over there. So we, we put our own program together, our own version of that for when our people get promoted in fire prevention. And we, we run, a, it's just a six day, but it's all leadership stuff. And in, in one of my leadership lectures that I give them, we talk about the 10 most unwanted people. Like they have the 10 most wanted FBI. I do the 10 most unwanted. And we talk about the sniper and the hand grenade and the clam and all these people that you either work with or you're standing in front of trying to lecture that, and here's, here's what they do. Here's how they behave. And here's how to get around those behaviors, you know? And, and uh, we talk about the, the, the guy taking over, you know, the, the guy, the know-it-all, the know-it-all, how to, ha- how to handle the know-it-all and all that kind of stuff. But if you're not in charge of your room, you're not in charge of your room. I, I was teaching FDIC in the late nineties. With one of my deputies from Merck, and we were doing something on competency-based training, and there was a guy sitting in the front, had a packed room, must have been a hundred guys in there. There's a guy sitting in the front, who's well dressed in a briefcase. It's like he was really out of place for FDIC. You know, he had on a tie and a briefcase. I figured he probably, as another instructor, I never met or something, but he was there as as a I don't know participant. And we're 20 minutes in, and we're rocking and rolling, and and uh, he raised his hand. I said, "Yes, sir." He said. This isn't competency-based training. Where the hell did you get your information from? Now, my partner, Al, he almost passed out when this guy did that. But I've been around knuckleheads my whole life, right? <laughs> so I said, I said, this is our, our uh, idea of competency-based training based on what OSHA says competency-based training is. I don't know what you're thinking. If it doesn't match what we're doing, all doors open out in a public building. You're not locked in. I said, the fire code doesn't allow you to be locked in a public building. You're allowed. The doors all open out. Good for you. And he picked up his bag and he left. That's awesome. And then they, they of course, the, the group gave him a standing ovation <laughs> yeah, right, when he walked out right, the door. Right. And, and, and so controlling the room. If I gave that guy the room, he'd own it. And there's, there's no way. Right. You know, for that hour and 45, that's my room. Right. And, and I'm not saying that as like, you know, a bangy on the head. But it's about and, – and the conversations start. You know that. You teach. The conversations break out, and it, inevitably it gets to a war story. Yeah. You know, I, I had a tunnel on fire one night, you know, and it was just a dumpster or whatever. And then finally you say, you know what, we got to get back to yeah, this. Yeah, you find it's a okay. way to, to hook okay them to back do. in, yeah. Because 90% of the people who come to that class came to hear the stuff that you wanted, that, that you're offering, not that guy's yeah, not that guy, story. Yeah. So, yeah, but but it's 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 a technique that you learn over time, in in kind of how to deal with with folks no matter what they whether they're a grenade or what's his name Tony Castro's from California. He talks about the recliner sniper in the firehouse. That's one of my favorites. The guy sitting in the recliner. Everything you tell him, he takes a shot at you sitting in the recliner while the TV's on. You know, so you got the recliner snipers. You got all those people. You know, and. Uh, Tony Avila talks about the mouch, you know, the man in the couch fused together and all that, you know. So I, I borrow those, but I give them off the credit. You know, what the heck? Uh, but at, at the end of the day, you, you got to control the room and you got to con- really strive to set that example. You really got to strive to set that example. I, I, that's big for me. It really is. Yeah. But I appreciate you coming. Well, thank yeah, thank, thank you, you, man. Thank you for everything. No, I, I, uh, I, 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 a hundred percent agree with you. I, I, like I said, I, I think that it's just, People don't realize like uh, what really goes into it. I, I, in my experience, I think that in the firehouse, uh, people uh, promoted into a train officer position either out of punishment or as a stowaway or because they were afraid of uh, 
being exposed for not being a good firefighter. Uh, or, and then instructors sometimes, you know, for the most part, you get those guys that are really passionate and they want to teach people and build the fire service. And you get some guys that just do it for some extra extra money moonlighting and as, as an adjunct or whatever. And they don't realize like what you say, what you teach, how you teach it. Um, you know, that shit really matters. And I learned it, you know, that's why I'm so passionate. About it. I learned it doing it. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to, I, I know what I looked for as a student and I know what I needed as a student. And, um, I try my hardest to, to, to do that. And when I get to lecture and you, you notice, I say, when I get to, uh, for me, it's an opportunity. Like, it's like, uh, I'm honored that somebody wants to sit and listen to me talk about something. Um, you know, Absolutely. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't think people realize that either. That's another thing is at the end of the day, we're humans and other humans took time to take, you know, to, to listen to us talk about something because they think that we might know it. Um, you know, it's it just, people don't realize that, 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 that importance. Um, you, you know, Dave, the best the best example I can give you with that is when I was in, in at Mohegan Sun in, in that's New London County, Connecticut. Okay, the city of New London is there and it's New London County and and mostly volunteer fire departments, a couple of career the, the Navy base in Groton was, was my fast team. They had us, we were Korea, the city of Norwich, uh city of New London. There there was a handful of career departments there, the rest of volunteers. And and I, I sat with the the chief from Foxwoods. And we wrote we wrote a countywide high rise fire SOP because we're going to host. He and I had the only had the only high rise buildings in, in New London County. So I got together with Lou, and I said, Lou, I got something drafted. Let's put our heads together, and then we'll give it to the chiefs. We'll we'll, we'll and and that's actually started a a uh, a New London County SOP series. Like what what are other things we want to do when we get to a fire? You know, we call in five or six towns on mutual aid. You know. And we we almost started like first do engine will do this, second do engine will do that, third do what they, we have that in the city. We got uh, first, second, third do engines and trucks, and everybody has a job. We were trying to set that up uh, before I left, but anyway, we wrote this high rise thing. We brought it to the chiefs; they all loved it. We put together like a, a just a fifteen PowerPoint slide introduction to the SOP, and we shot we showed that at a chiefs meeting one night, and we said, "Here's how we're going to operate if we have because Fox was had a fire." about eight months or, or a year before I got up there. And and it was Bonham and Bailey. It was Bonham and Bailey. It was terrible. So we said, all right, let's get this, let's get this down. And then we had a fire about six months before I showed up. It wasn't too bad. Uh, and But it was also Bonham and Bailey. You know, my boss said there were 10,000 fire trucks here and 16 firemen. You know, what, what's the deal? You know, kind of thing. So on and on. And everybody's like, this is great. I said, all right, we're going to announce a training night. Send your deputy chiefs and your line officers. So I don't forget how many departments we had in, in the county. I'm going to say we had 30. Okay. So we set up at a firehouse. I forgot which department offered up their firehouse. They had a nice room. They had a projector with a screen, the whole bit. Three guys showed up. Three. Yeah, we were expecting three from each department. We should have had 100 people in the room. Three guys showed up. So Lou looked at me and said, what do you want to do? I said, these three guys, they came to get this information. We're going to give it to them. He said, are you kidding? I said, no, Lou, you can leave. If you got to, you want to go home, I won't hold it against you. We'll still be friends, you know, but 
these three guys, they came to get this information. And they one was a career captain. I think two of them were uh, were uh, volunteer uh, deputies, maybe from two different departments. And we did the whole two and a half, three hours, whatever it was, two and a half hours. And we did it. I didn't stand in front of them. We sat at around the table and we showed the slides. And, you know, we had a nice chat. It was more like intimate, you know, at that point. <clears throat> three guys showed up. They got the lecture. Yeah, I, I say that, you know, we, I, you know, like uh, when, when I do my lecture, like uh, I talk about, you know, there's a few different things in my in my program. Like we talked about, you know, tonight, just, you know, uh, owning the room, all that. But one of the things I say is um, I say we don't cancel training. You never be afraid to pivot as a training officer, but you don't cancel training because the minute you cancel training, you know, unless for obvious reasons, when we're in emergency services, shit happens, you know, um, you, you set the tone that everything becomes expendable and training should never be expendable. Tommy Brennan was, the, you know, said it the best, you know, can't train enough for a job, it kills you, you know. It's, it's the truth. You know, like right. we just, you have to, you can't cancel training. You got three guys that show up. And I love that. You know, like I've, I've been blessed. I've been, I've been honored. You know, uh, last year uh, I had a, a, a pretty full room at uh, at FDIC. That's never happened before. Most I've ever had before that was like 70 people. And I was thought, oh, that's pretty good. You know? And then last year I, I had people standing in the back. Uh, who knows what I'm going to get this year. You know, maybe people will be sick of me, but no, but cause you know, it ups and flows. Yeah. But the point is, is the most intimate I've ever had as an instructor is them small groups. That's where I'm on my best game because you're having full dialogue conversations with dudes, you know? So like Absolutely. you really become Absolutely. on your game yeah. at that point when you're just standing there as a talking head, you're kind of going through the motions. It's fun, but you, you know, you never know if you're actually teaching when you get them small groups, you're teaching, you know, you're very impressionable. I like them small groups. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's happened to me four or five times with the Division of Fire Safety. You know, they, they'll they'll run the CEU classes in New Jersey, I think, for a minimum of like eight or ten. You know, and, and I, I, I do a high-rise class for them. I do a high-rise class. And I remember I was in Ocean County, and I had eight or nine guys showed up. And I said, right, you know what, take the tables and make them a horseshoe. I sat at the top of the horseshoe when they sat around me. And I sat in the back and I said, well, number one, I don't have to stand all day. That, that's a break for a guy like me, you know. I'm not young anymore, and but it was it was more of a of a uh, it was like a, a, a conversation around the table, you know. I throw a slide up and say, hey, "What do you think of that?" You know, and it was a conversation. We're sitting at the same level. We're making eye contact. We're doing all that stuff, you know. And, and then certain times I'd make them write certain things down, or I would explain something further and get feet. But the, the you and the the smaller the group, the more intimate, the harder you have to work. The harder you have to work. And, and the other thing is you're teaching a five-hour or four-hour, let's say a four-hour class. When you got 150 people in them or 100 people, you can get enough questions and enough banter to eat up that four hours. But if you don't have four hours worth of information, which you should, okay, you fall, you end up falling short. Okay, so now when I when I, I, I find myself, I got nine people, okay, around. They tell us to have – the division wants us to have, I think, five to six hours, okay, all my stuff is 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 set up for like a seven hour day, because you got to have that extra stuff. You have to have it because you end up with a small group. Right. There's not a lot of questions and answers. You know, one guy has a question once an hour, so you kind of do your thing, and you know, and if you have to, you got to go to a video now and then, yeah. which I hate to do. But, <laughs> but I, for that class, I actually use I still use I still use the Meridian Bank in Philadelphia as one of my case studies for high rise fires and especially if we're talking about stamp pipes, but uh, 
in any event. I, I, I yeah, and and I, I that thing about canceling tra- training, I agree because then you, you, what you're doing is you're showing, you're telling your people, it's not important. You're telling them it's not important. You know, I, I, I was, so, I was so big on training. My last job in Wilton, in fact, I did an article fire engineering with photos. Okay, the, the firehouse was built in '84. And it had a like, probably a, like a four-story peaked roof inside, all wood, big four-story peaked roof. So th- th- there was like, you know, if you want to go up inside, you got plenty of room. I had an, an architect come in, okay? And, I, on a, of course, I did it on a napkin, okay? I, I built a platform about eight feet above the ground in steel, steel platform. And then you could take a ladder up to that platform. And then I had to build a window frame. Okay, and you could put a ladder up to the window. You can do bailout practice with mats. Of course, we put mats down for bailout because they we just got new bailout ropes and a bailout system. And I said to my guys, you can train 12 months a year. There's four feet of snow outside. You can train. You can train. You got There's a hurricane going on. As long as we're not running, you can train. So I built an indoor facade of a small building with a window. And there's, there's no excuses. It's like you, we're not going to, oh, it's, it's snowing out there. We can't go out. So what are we going to do? Well, you, you got your window frame here. You know, bring bring the bring the dummy up, carry it down the ladder, lower it down in the basket, do your bailout training, put your mats down and all that, you know. And then we, we put a, uh, a a rig up there. With, when we did the bailout training, especially, we make the guys hook up. We don't, nobody gets hurt at training, right? So uh, we, we set up for that right, as well. Right, right. So, like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, cover a couple of things that are just interesting about your background, you know, um, I guess sticking to the theme, but you know, you, you were a fire chief. So tell us about your experiences. We, we touched on some of this, but you know, it's interesting because for, for the, for the audience, one of the other things that I've been blessed and you have too, you know, to, to have in our background is you know, working for the DOD, you know, I was at West Point. West Point's kind of like a like a city, even though it is the campus. It's it's, it's kind of like a city, and I got high rises. They got thousands of people. I mean, there's like it could be over you know sixty, seventy thousand people just on West Point at a time. That's like you know like a like a like a a, a big community. Um, you know, but uh, industrial side, you know, uh, the importance of that kind of training. You know, so uh, tell us about your experience as fire chief for industrial private sector uh, when you were at Merck, when you were at Mohegan Sun. What are some of the challenges, including specialized training of the firefighters that um, you faced in those roles? Yeah, so I, it's it's a little bit different, and 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 I always prided myself and my my guys, uh, my guys and gals. Yeah, the last couple of years, I got a couple of ladies on the department. Uh, it, it was good because the fire the firehouse needed a woman's touch, and and I, I mean that from my heart. You know, my wife would walk in there once in a while and say, "Heesh, what are you doing here?" You know, so you know, get getting the ladies into the department was great. Not only that, but every female firefighter I have come across since then, the ladies I had at Merck, um, they were they were just dynamic. They were hardworking. You know, there was a lot of kickback. You know, I come from from an era where like we'll never have women in the fire service, and and they're doing great. They're doing great in, in our job in the city. Um, uh, I had a, I had a couple of female medics. They weren't firefighters when I was at, uh, at Mohegan, but anyway, I had a, I had a couple of, I had a couple of ladies. So the, the, the men and women, they, they, I had a couple of full-time people. I had like eight or 10 full-time people, you know, and, and you knew some of them from Woodbridge. And then, and then I had, uh, 
my 50 people on, on my department. And a lot of people call this a brigade. But what I did was I changed that. I changed that because they wanted, they once came to me and said, we want to be big city. And I said, okay, we're not in a big city, but we can certainly train. If you're willing to train like big city and you're willing to do the work and put the time in, we'll, we'll, so little by little, we, we changed it up. So we called ourselves the Merck Fire Department. We didn't call ourselves the Fire Brigade. We were a fire department. I restructured it, the typical pyramid. Chief, four deputies, two battalions, captains, lieutenants, and made the, the typical pyramid. And and uh, and you had to earn you had to earn your stripes to, to move up in the organization. <clears throat> um, I I, I think the interesting part was I used to take pride in, in telling the, the fire chiefs at, at the county meetings and at the I, I belonged to the state career chiefs as well. My guys can do stuff your people can't. That's what I used to tell them all. Because they say, well, you know, you, what are you doing over there? And, you know, inside the plant? I said, my people could do stuff that your people can't. I said, I have 55 people on my roster. They're all hazmat technicians. Right. I got 55 hazmat technicians on my department, me included. We're all techs. You don't have any techs. You got to call the county. Right. I said, I got a rescue team. We do trench. We do high angle. We do low angle. Confined space. How, how big is your rescue outfit? Oh, I went to blah, 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 blah. So I said, my guys could do. I said, not only that, here's the kicker, I used to tell the chiefs. I got unlimited funding, I used to tell them. <laughs> I said, I got resources you can't get. I got, because I, I, I could. You know, Merck was that kind of company. They they were willing to put in the money and whatever it costs. You know, when I bring people to my firehouse at Merck, you know, I, ha I, had, I had 12 rolling pieces of equipment. And the people will look and go, holy cow. Even firefighters and chiefs. And I say, this is the company's commitment to safety. That's what you're looking at. You know, a couple of million dollars worth of equipment. You know, and they just got new stuff again. Three or four years ago, they had a new yeah, engine, a new rescue. And... Yeah, so they so they, they that was the company's commitment to safety, you know, which which was it was it was great working for that outfit because anything I asked for, they gave me. I, I quick quick story, uh, we're building a process building. Okay, so so here's here's one of those anomalies that you're talking about. Like, what what are some of the challenges? We're building a process building. We're going to pump flammable liquid through this building, okay, through four inch pipes. The roof of the building is 133 feet from grade. It's only a five story because it's got mezzanine, but there are vessels in there. So I got a high rise building. I'm pumping flammable liquids through a high rise. So question one is, how do I get foam to the top floor? Okay. So we start specking out. A, a towel ladder with a foam system on it, so I can get foam to the top floor. Now, that that's not a common, not a common thing. But down the block at the refinery, at the Bayway refinery, they had six or seven of them. So we went down there and we took a look at this, and and I went to management. Now this is, uh, I'm going to say 2005 ish. At that time, that rig was a million and change. Now a towel lot is two million dollars. Easily. But at that time a, a, a towel lot or a home system was like a million two. Right. You know what my vice president said to me? He said, Where do I sign? That's a good Where did that come from? Where do I sign? You know, that was twenty years of credibility. Or fifteen right. years at that point. Right. At fifteen they knew you years of trying to dupe them. with the company. You got so so he said tell you know, write it up and blah blah blah. So we wrote it up. So we're, we're looking at other at other things. And everybody's excited, including your buddy Tim. We'll get the towel out. He's freaking out, right? <clears throat> but then we figured we, we can get foam to the top floor and throughout the building if we pump it into the sprinkler system and into the standpipe riser. So we went down to the fire grounds, and we pumped foam with our foam truck, 
because we're making finished foam with the foam truck. It was a national foam built rig. Uh, and we're putting it through the regular sprinklers. And we, we brought pan. We, we lit we lit the first floor of the burn building on fire with a couple of pans of flammable liquid of, of uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not methanol. But anyway, we <laughs> I almost said Tylenol, but that's not right. Uh, but we, we set up a whole bunch of pans. And then we, we just pumped. Like Merck. It was still on your brain. Yeah. <laughs> We, yeah, we, we pump foam. We pump foam through two standard sprinkler heads. Finished foam. Put the fire out. Did nautical fire engineering on that too. Put the fire out. You know. So I said, okay, we could pump foam, finished foam solution into the fire department connection, and put foam through the sprinkler system throughout the whole building. That's good news number one. Then we went back to the building, and they were just about top. They just topped it off. And we went out there after the construction guys went home one day about four thirty-five o'clock. I brought a crew out there. And we put a line to the Siamese connection, to the fire department connection. I sent three guys up to the roof where the manifold was on the standpipe. I said, take a line off there. And I told the guys, pump finish foam through the Siamese right up through the standpipe. And we were able to get beautiful foam at the ground level and at the top floor using the standpipe system and the sprinkler system. It was out-of-the-box stuff, but we did it. So I went back to management, another feather in the hat. I said, I don't need the million too, unless you want to give it to me for like a little private account where I could buy stuff. Of course, they laughed at me, right? So it, it, so in, in the industrial arena, and then we, we changed, by the way, we changed all our SOPs. Any building with flammable liquids in it, a foam line goes to the fire department connection on arrival. Take a hydrant, put a foam line, and prepare to pump foam into the sprinkler system or the standpipe riser. Or if it's a combination, we're hitting both at the same time. And we're just pumping foam in the building, and it's it's doing the job. And and we did it a couple of times, and worked very very well. So, no, those were some of the out of the box things. I wrote some articles on it for fire engineering. I talked about using dry chemical in 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 a, in a house fire. You should have seen the emails I got on that one. You know, I said I said you pull up today's houses. What are they? They're all hydrocarbon based, right? Everything's hydrocarbon based. You got fire blowing out the living room window. The guys are taking the hydrant. They're setting up. Send a truck up on the porch and dump dump a 20, 20 pound or a thirty pound BC dry chemical and swirl it around in there. You'll knock the fire down. It's all petroleum based stuff that's burning. Oh, you should have seen the yeah, calls how, I got how on dare that. You take time went by. Firefighting saying that you know. Instead of being yeah, logical, well, coming up with the best method. Ago, I know. I did a podcast two years ago. I got invited on with uh, with uh, Bill Gustin from Florida, from Miami, and he had on he had on Mike Dugan from the city and a couple other. To talk, just talk about fire extinguishers. And he had me on because he knew I was an industrial guy at one time. Because portable extinguishers, I had four thousand units in the in the facility. I had four thousand extinguishers in the city. In, in, in a, every lab had them. We had them everywhere. Had wheeled units, you name it. And we put a lot of fires out with the portables. So he wanted me on just for commentary on using portables, because he said the nation's fire service firefighters don't use portable extinguishers a lot. You know, maybe the can. That's about it. The water can. Other than that. So we talked about all that. And I, I talked about this stuff. And I said, what about using a dry chem in, in the living room window while we're setting up? And he said, oh, that's interesting. And then what's his name had had a communication problem that night? Mike Dugan. We could see him, but we couldn't hear him. So I said, Mike, shake your head yes or no. Dry chem in the window. He went like this. <laughs> so it was hysterical. But so we we had we had our challenges, but we, we used to put our heads together and say, all right, how do we overcome this? So we don't need a towel out of a foam. We could pump it right into the fire department connection. And so can anybody else. So can you or anybody else, as long as you got the right equipment. So uh, 
we didn't come into too much too much challenges. Uh, a lot of our people, like any other probationary firefighter, they never seen it before. They thought it was kind of cool to become a firefighter inside the plant, as as you know, work doing stuff for Merck. It was an overtime opportunity. They trained on overtime, so some guys were in it for the bucks. But as long as they did their work and they had their heart in it, I didn't care. You know which guys did it for the overtime, right. but. As long as they did what they were supposed to follow the rules, went to training, and came to calls, yeah. you had to come to calls as well. So it, it was an interesting. But it, like like you talked about, you know, with with West Point, we were a city, but we were a little small. We had like seven thousand employees. The only difference between us and and West Point is I had every hazardous material under the sun times ten in alphabetical order everywhere. I had labs, I had bulk chemical facilities, we had everything, rail cars, you name it. Uh, all that heavy stuff is gone now. It's just it, it's become a research center now. So it's just like they're putting up new buildings, but they're all labs. They're just dealing with no, labs. No, I know. But uh, so, and, and then and then Mohegan, the, the Mohegan wasn't wasn't bad. That there were no real again no real challenges up there. We were a hybrid. We we called Mohegan a hybrid. We were like a municipal department, but we weren't really industrial because there was nothing industrial there. But confined to that that area. Of course, we're in the mutual aid system. We were the fast team for the city of Norwich. Went there. Most of the fires we went to were in Norwich. They had a that arson ring working in Norwich at the time, so the guys were kind of happy about that. Uh, we had a good relationship with the with the Norwich Fire Department, with the officers. With the I met the chief right away, and uh, we hit it off. We're still friends. He retired. We still talk a lot, but uh, for the, for the most part, the, the challenges are you know always everybody's challenge. Budget, you know, it's the same stuff, you know that kind of stuff. But but in, in terms of of you know, I haven't come across a lot of firefighters in my time that like, even like if they didn't feel like training, like they weren't saying, well, I'm not training. You know, everybody would, would get get up and, and let, let's go do it. You know, because for some reason, training became a chore in a lot of places. You know, one of the things that, that irks me, one, I'll give you one that sticks me right here. I was asking one of the chiefs in Connecticut one time about, uh, he, oh, he wanted me to come and do, do some a lecture on something, a training thing. Either I said, well, pick a weeknight, you know. I says I'll come over during the day. Doesn't matter. We'll pick a weeknight. I'll come after work, a Saturday, a Sunday. And he went time out. He says the firefighters contract doesn't allow training on Saturday, Sunday, or holidays or after six o'clock at night. See the face he just made. I looked at him and I said, "You kid." I thought he was joking. I thought he was kidding. I said, "I said, all right, stop messing around. How about Tuesday night?" And he goes, "I'm not kidding. It's in the contract." No training Saturday, Sunday, holidays, or after six o'clock at night during the week. And I said, when did training become this burden and this chore? Going back to what you said 15 minutes ago, that Tom Brennan said you can't train enough for something that's going to kill you, you know. And 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 it, it's unfortunate, but that's those departments that have that in their contract. That that's a culture. That that's a, a toxic culture, if you ask me, because every chance you get. Every chance you get, you know, guys have always said to me, especially when I had, you know, time, a little time in New York and now I'm back uh, about training, you know, with, with the city. They As busy as we are. And, and, and I have a, a by the way, I have a, a, a what the hell is it called? A command app on my phone. I'll show it to you. OK, oh, you really can't see it. But as every every fork and fire comes in on that phone, I have it silenced. Otherwise, you're right, right. going off the whole seconds. time. Yeah, there's, a, there's a second alarm in, in Brooklyn and a second alarm in the Bronx right now. Okay, right now. So as busy as we are, the firemen train in the firehouses. They go out to the Rock. They go to the fire academy uh, on, on rotation. 
They do drills in the firehouse. They do building inspections out of the firehouse. Um, they, they, and 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 the the the, uh, the SOC companies, the special operations companies, the the the, uh, the rescues and the the squads. There, it's like they can't get enough. You know, you talk. I talked to some of the officers in, in the squads and stuff, and and they just. They said, you know, if if we're not eating and we're not on a run, we're doing something. We're having to do with training. That's how you get shot. That's how you stay on your game in this in this profession that we're in. And I and again, a career or volunteer. You know, my we'll talk about the volunteers for a second, if I can. I, I did it for a total of fourteen years. Uh, no, sixteen years. Okay, but <clears throat> this is a profession. This is not a hobby. It, this is life and death. We talked about you got a major in the majors, right? This is life and death. You know, and I tell people who don't know, people outside the fire service, I said, a volunteer firefighter has two full-time jobs. They work in the factory, they drive a bus, they drive a truck, and they're a firefighter. That's a full-time job. I said, a volunteer fire chief has three full-time jobs. Because he or she works during the day, nine to five. I said, I, the best volunteer chiefs I ever met would work, go to work in the morning, come home and have dinner with the family. And go to the firehouse five nights a week and Saturdays. That's two and a half jobs, and then you're running out during the night going to fires and an incident. I said it's it's a commitment and it's a profession. Being professional is not doing money. It's how you work, how you handle yourself, how you, how you train, all of that stuff. So we talk about our, our career, the firefighters, and our volunteer. This is a profession, like it or not. You and if you're in it, you got to be in it all the right, way. I agree. But there's, there's there's no cutting. There's no cutting corners, man. You can't. No, I agree. So we, again, we didn't have too much. We didn't have too much uh, uh, issues doing any training. You know, just a lot of specialized training, a lot of in-house stuff. You know, uh, I, I'll give you another. The downtown Norwich, Connecticut. There's actually a little a community college called Three Rivers, and I taught at Three Rivers. I taught fire science there a couple of years. I was up there, so I, I made my way into the college. I got to teach. You know me, right? But the, the three rivers come together, and down downtown there's a marina down there, and the, the currents and the tides are wacky. You fall in that you fall in that area, we don't know where we're gonna find you. But we, my guys go fast one night to a boat fire in a marina. It's Norwich's fire, and they come back and say, you know what? If one of us fell in off the dock, no, would have never seen us again. So, again. I went to went to my management and we got the indoor pool at the hotel at the Mohegan Sun, eleven o'clock at night, <clears throat> and we we threw a couple of guys into the pool. I put guys in there in bathing suits as a safety team, and then we threw a few guys in with turnout gear on to see what would happen. Because I remembered that old thing when I was in scouting, they taught us how how to dive, go in the water with our uniform on and blow up our shirt, and you blow into your shirt, you know, and, and you take your pants and you make it into a, a life preserver. So what can we do with turnout gear? So it turns out in our experiment, if you didn't fight and try to swim, there was enough air in the turnout gear to keep you afloat about almost 15 minutes because there's, there's just air in there, okay? And if you if you started to, to move around, it would push the air out. So what I ended up doing, I ended up buying the the, the horse collar harness that they wear on, uh, on uh, what do you call Deadliest Catch. You see that they have that horse collar on when they're out on the deck. It's a life preserver, but it's very skinny and very – so we bought them. We said, listen, you go down to the, to, the, to the waterfront, put these on over your turnout gear. It'll keep your head above the water. And wherever you float and whatever river you end up on, we'll pluck you out five miles down the road. But at least you'll have the collar on. So 
we, we got to do stuff like that, you know, use the indoor pool. And a lot of everybody has access to that, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, not, not too bad. The, the challenges are always with management, you know, always, whether it was the town council in, in, uh, in Wilton or it was the tribal council at the, at the, at the Mohegan. You know, those are your challenges, whether it's budget or whether it's you want to do a new program or whatever. But other than that, not too big. Yeah, you know, I uh, so a couple things that you touched on. So, like, uh, the one thing I liked was going back to Merck, you, you know, you, you were talking about how you guys had a culture thing, right? They want to be called a fire department, not a fire brigade. So I, I just wrote a note here, put improve the culture through training. It's one of the things I talk about in my book and in, 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 in the class. Same thing, you know. Uh, you know, when I was at West Point, you know, with the uh, same, you know, they do everything. They got the Hudson River through there. They're West Point's a big name, you know. We got to improve the culture through training. We got to meet the, the 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 expectation. And then you had said before about the Merck guys, you said, you know, my guys can do stuff you can't do. So now at Letterkenny, it's a very industrial type base. You know, I can't really, for security purposes, get into details of what we do, but it's an industrial base. And, right. and, and there's some stuff that they do there. And uh, I say to the guys, you know, I came up with a thing. I said, we are the standard because they're so worried about what everybody else around us is doing and then nothing against them. But like, there's people can't do what we do. Everybody's a hazmat tech. Everybody's a hazmat IC. Everybody's firefighter one, two, driver, operator, pumper, mobile water supply. You know, they're inspector one, inspector two, instructor one, instructor two, officer one, officer two. And we train. So not only do they have these pieces of paper, which is a piece of paper, but we go out and apply this shit. So I'm like, we are the standard, you know? And then just so like all these different things that you've done, <clears throat> You're modest about it, you know, like you're like, oh, well, not too many challenges. And I love that you say that, you know, more the challenges with the the, the the bean counters, the managerial piece, you know, the people that make the decisions or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I don't want to say it's easy to train to be a firefighter. But you know why everybody always wants to pull the hose and, 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 and go to live burns is because that's fun training. And, and it's, it's, it's semi easy because it's fun. But training to your mission, training to your surroundings, training to your first due, those are the challenges. And, you, and you've had them and, you know, and you persevered. You know, you found a way to capitalize it. You found a way. And that, that's just not just all your years of doing it, but your, your ability to be the student of the craft. And that's your fire prevention mindset. You know, like people that have a passion for fire prevention, they see things different than other people. I always say, you know, like you, you – we, we, we fail because oftentimes we always promote a guy that's going to be the chief of the organization who only had an operations background. I've, I've been fortunate that you know, I was an ops chief. I was, I was a captain on the engine for a while. You can couple the, the you know, and, and marry each thing that you can uh, apply each thing. But when you do training, when you do prevention, you understand administrative stuff. You understand policy. You understand regulations, standards. And you also understand how to conduct an assessment. And um, I think that you having that background and going to those different types of unique fire departments uh, and finding a way to keep those guys engaged and, 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 and improve the culture and, and improve their abilities, you know, uh, it takes that mindset of not just like, yeah, guys, I know you want to go on mutual aid, so we'll train on pulling hose all the time. Like you found ways to, you said 11 o'clock at night, you know, we're, we're telling guys to go in the water, you know, like, yeah. Because something can happen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they don't realize that. like when I got to West Point, I made the guys jump in the water, you know, and in the Hudson and out at, uh, you know, the, the lakes that are out there. 
they hadn't done it for years, you know? So they were, some of them were excited to do it, but other guys were like, really, man, we got to do this. Like, yeah, you got to do it, bro. Like, what are we going to do when the cadets are doing their swim back? You know, like they're, who do, who are they calling? They're calling us. You know what I mean? It's whole point of us being here. You're going to call. So it's going to be right. a problem for me. If you've never right. been in that water before. And now this cadet's drowning and they want us to fish them out of there. And, and, and now you become a liability because we've never trained you in, in what that feels like being in there, you know? You know, you know, Dave, I, I, I'm having, I'm, I'm getting the privilege of, of working with and chatting with somebody, the New York City Chiefs now, you know, in, in the job. And, and uh, uh, there's a guy named Frank Lieb who's kind of making the circuit now. Frank wrote a book on leadership. He, he's, he just spent a week in Australia. I mean, he's, he became an in-demand guy. He, he's currently the chief of safety. He's the chief of our safety uh, uh, crew. And, and uh, I had him and Chief Jordan on, on, on my show on the Backstep Boys uh, with Tommy uh, last month. I had them on. And one of the things we, we got to talking about that Frank talked about, and he did an article on it. He, he did some either an online article for, for fire engineering or fire. He talks about the, the, the training in, in the granola effect. Did you just happen to see that with the granola? I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And what he says is, he says, he says, you, you put that bowl of granola on the table in the firehouse, there better be some M&Ms in there or the guys aren't eating it. He said, they're not going to eat a handful of granola by itself. You got to put M&Ms. Because we were talking about doing building inspection, fire prevention type stuff, you know, some public fire safety education. And and him and Joe Jordan, I mean, they've been doing it forever. They're experts. Jordan was the chief of fire prevention when I went back in 2021. Uh, he's been reassigned. Uh, but they talked about Frank talks about the M and M's in the granola, and and that's how that's what that's his way of saying saying you got to strike a balance, you have to strike a balance. Okay, so yes, the guys they want to pull holes, they want to throw ladders, they want to do rescue, they want to do all that stuff, and they need to do building inspection, and they need to go go to the local school and get on their hands and knees with the little kids and teach them how to crawl under the smoke, and all that stuff. So. I think that that's that's the, the the big challenge for our instructors of the country of the world is is to strike that balance, okay, and and put in those M and M's once in a while, and because we talk, you know we talked about doing building inspection, you know we have a we have a program in the city called BISP Building Inspection Safety Program, and it's the local companies doing their thing, you know, aside from what fire prevention does, and uh, I asked them straight out, I said you, you know you, you guys are you guys are line operational chiefs. You know, uh, how are the fire companies doing? How are the local companies doing? And he said, they're doing it. They're doing it. They they go out when they, when they were, you know, battalion chiefs and deputy, they get out in the field and they they'd catch up with these guys. He said, but they, they've come to realize through a culture shift, and it takes a long time, it doesn't happen overnight, that going out and looking at buildings, they're catching things that, you know, even if they're going in to say, let's look at this building and see how we're not going to get killed tonight if we got to come back here. You know, how do we keep ourselves from getting killed in a place like this and or protecting the people in the building, whether they write a violation, they send an, uh, a, a referral to us or to the Department of Buildings or whatever it is. So he, and, and he said, Frank said, he said, so they, we, we go out, and we, we do an inspection. He says, and while we're there looking at those mundane things like fire escapes and stairwells and extinguishers, we're also looking at hose stretches, standpipes, going to the riser room. He says, so we're building in all that stuff. He says, so we have the granola, we have the M and M's. Everybody's a happy camper, you know. So yeah, no, I'm familiar. That's it. It's, it's, that it's, was it's, a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I like the way you put it's it. It's a great analogy because it's relatable. Everybody knows yeah. what, what exactly what he means when he says that. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I got it right away. <laughs> um, so speaking of which, and, and uh, you know, we're we're coming toward the end, but I don't I don't want to. I'd be remiss. We we covered that. You know, you're in the city now, but uh, and you talked about some of the things you did there. But I do want to cover a little bit of that. Just uh, you know, tell us about what you've been doing now, what your role in the city, what is the new role, what are your responsibilities and, and just as you, you hit it early on when we talked about this. So I can imagine back home is different than what I'm, I'm experiencing here in PA. You know, what are some of the new challenges that you've encountered in this new, new thing you're doing? So, so I, I reapplied to go back uh, in that, at the end of 2019, it took about two and a half years with COVID and, and the city's speed. And, and they brought me back with the title of executive inspector. That, that's a civil service title, executive inspector. Uh, equal part and parcel to what the chief inspector would look like. Uh, we have about 10 or 12 chief inspectors in the bureau and they run individual. We have 22 operating units in the bureau. The chief inspectors run different units. Uh, we got a unit just that does high rise buildings. We had a unit that does sprinklers and standpipes, uh, just to give you a, an idea of, of the magnitude. We have 72,000 sprinkler and standpipe systems, and, and they're, they're on a five-year cycle for testing. We witness 12,000 tests a year. That chief inspector has about 28, tw- no, no, 30, 38 to 40 people working just the sprinklers and standpipes. Range hood systems, we've got 70,000 systems a year. So they have a chief inspector in charge, and, and, and our director of our academy is a chief inspector. So I'm on par with those guys. Uh, 20% of my job now is um, special special projects. I work directly for the chief of fire prevention. Chief of fire prevention is an assistant chief of department, th- uh, three-star general. And he has a deputy assistant chief, a two-star general, and I work for them. And I they'll, we don't do a, a ton of projects. Big projects changes is, is budgetary, so... We, we, we try to just do internal stuff. So I, I, I write, I, I draft up the uh, directives, operating instructions, SOPs type of stuff. So we want to change a direction we're going in. So I'm, I'm their research guy and I'm, the, I'm their kind of their ghostwriter a little bit. Um, they're up to here. The two chiefs are up to here all day. They spend a lot of time upstairs. They're constantly getting calls from either the chief of department, the fire commissioner's office. There's always something going on in fire prevention. So I about 20% support the bosses when they need something. And then the other 80% is, is education and professional development. There wasn't a lot of, there was hardly any uh, emphasis on that uh, for the first 111 years. The Bureau was, uh, we were formed up a year after the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire in 1911. So 19, March 16th, 1912, fire prevention was born. So for the first 111 years, there wasn't much going on, 110 years. So I came on board. I put my head together with our academy director. This guy's sharp as a tack. Uh, he's a former Marine. And we started building programs, and we got a whole slew of programs going on now. The way, what I think the way it should be, uh, continuing education classes, the, the first-line supervisors academy when they get promoted. Uh, we do a monthly bulletin on some – we just we pick random – code issues and we, we call it a core bulletin. We put a core bulletin. I just started something two months ago. I'm doing a historic fire series, all the major historic fires in history. Uh, December, I started with the Iroquois Theater, January, and now we're doing by the month. January was, uh, uh, came and went. February was the station nightclub, needless to say. I can't think of what January's fire was, but every month we got a bad fire. March is going to be, we're going to be triangle shirtwaist. 
and, and Mayor's the Beverly Hills Supper Club and on and on and on. Coconut Grove, we're going to cover all of them. So we're doing historic fire series. So we're doing about six or seven new programs. We've got probing classes coming. To, so we're busy as hell. So that that's my main gig is education and professional development. And not just for the inspectors. Our inspector cadre, uniformed inspectors, we got about 380 people that are involved with inspection. Uh, and then the rest, we got analysts, we got engineers, we got plant examiners, we got uh, you name it, you know, all the clerical support. So it's not just for our, for the uniform inspection force, but anybody can go to the National Fire Academy or they could take a seminar. Or So I'm, I'm trying to work with kind of as many groups as I can in, in the Bureau to get it back uh, where where, we sh- where it needs to be. And we're there. We're, we're a victim of our own success. The Academy just got another position. We pulled another person in because, uh, you know, everybody. And now we got groups outside of fire prevention asking us, we have, a, we have a commissioner for facilities. This guy's in charge of all the firehouses, all the fire department buildings, the auto mechanics that fix the rigs. He's got everything but fighting fires. He has us doing facil- uh, 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 leadership training for his facilities directors and his mechanics and his all his groups. So we're basically training our us. That's, that's where we're in it, like up to here. And, and, and we're doing new stuff all the time, and it's great. And implement the new stuff is great. It's a first. Uh, uh, fire, fire prevention is really the, the, is unfortunately is really kind of the third, the third child. You know, fire operations is number one in New York City, and then EMS, and then it's us. You know, but we're we're we're, we're learning how to get on par with everybody. Uh, one of the things I put together is when they have a lieutenant's class, a new bata- a new captain's class, a battalion chief's class, or a new deputy's class. I get to go and sit with them for an hour and I have a PowerPoint uh, all about the Bureau of Fire Prevention because they have no, our operations people have very little to do with us and they don't know what we do. And especially at the, at the battalion and deputy chief rank, they, they, we tell them we're an asset for you. You know, you just, you call us and we'll be there for you because they get the administrative headache call, the battalion chief and the deputy. When I go to battalion chief's class, I said, you're all captains. You're getting promoted in a week. Who do you normally call when you got a problem? We call the battalion. Guess what? Tag you're in, you know. So, I, and I, that, I've had a chance to, to sit. And you know, interestingly enough, Dave, you and I talked about being prepared and being uh, setting example. And all. when I go to those classes, the first couple of, that I went to I had a little nerve. Imagine me getting nerved up after all these years standing in front of a group of people, and and it was only because, um, in my mind, it had to be. As good as it can be, it had to be on their terms. It had to be on their level, and it had to be something that they can say, "Holy cow, we've been missing this," and and it we we got that. I, I'm getting that from them. Right, make, uh, make it the other group, for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the other group that that happened to were the fire marshals. You know, we I think we have 200 marshals in the city, and and the marshals they do all the fire and arson investigation, and and sure enough, we went to to the, the fire marshals academy. They put they put a bunch of new marshals on recently, a year ago, and we we did an all about fire prevention bureau, and and we have we actually have a joint task force currently. We have a special inspections unit and and a couple of marshals. They're doing all the lithium ion battery stuff, which you saw on news the well, other day. Yeah, I saw, and I also uh, uh, you talked about Lieb. Yeah. He shared uh, what you guys had at the Rock. What was it last year or something like that? You know, the city is really taking more of an active. Our I'm not undermining it. The fire service is using this lithium. Maybe like I'm on the board, right? With FDIC. 
and it's like everybody's trying to put a class on for this, right? It's a buzzword. The city is is taking right. a great active interest in like, hey, this is real shit, and we're not prepared. And I really appreciated that, you know. And, and Frank had actually he shared it with me because I want to use it with the DoD guys. Like, hey, man, like we have this on the base. The, you know, the the, the military is trying to save money. They're they're finding different ways to be efficient and bring these vehicles on and right. building different things on the bases that that use this. So it's like we gotta we gotta know our animal here. So I, I just I didn't want to hijack that. Just yeah. I appreciate that that's like that's an all-encompassing thing that you guys are putting together. You guys are taking more of the spearhead approach. Two years ago. Well, they, they, what happened is two years ago, we did a we, – we invited the fire service, and they, we sold tickets. And we have something called the FDNY Foundation. They're a 501c3, and they, they run these conferences, and they make a few bucks, and they do scholarships and stuff. So they sold tickets, 300 tickets in two hours, gone. So we had two days at The Rock, okay? I was only back six months. My boss introduced me to everybody and said, oh, by the way, uh, this is Ron Kahneman. He just came back. He used to be here. He was a chief, and he's got mad organizational skills, so he's going to write the logistics and the operational plan for this whole thing. Okay, that's how I got introduced to everybody. So I did, and it, it worked fine. And then last year, this past, I think, October, September, we invited in the, the insurance industry for a day to talk about the problem with the batteries. Last year, we had 18 fatal- fire fatalities from batteries in the city. and but, but the truth is, as you say, the first seminar two years ago, and even this one, our hazmat guys are getting up in front of these groups of people and saying, you folks have to understand something. We are building the plane as we're flying it, which I thought is a great analogy. It's a perfect you know, analogy. We're building the, the plane as we're flying it. Our hazmat guys, they're trying to figure it out. You know, the first couple of jobs they went on with these batteries, they, they took them down. They took them down in the elevator. And then they realized an hour later, the thing flashed off in the backyard in the fire. It's like, all right, let's not use the elevator anymore. And even in a bucket, you know, they, 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 put, they drown one in a bucket. And then three hours later, they see steam in the backyard and it's boiling out the water from the bucket, you know, and on and on and on. So the, the, the city is, is doing, doing, we're doing the best that we can trying to figure it out. Uh, but, but being honest about it, you know, like, like you said, you know, guys putting in to do a class on, and I've seen stuff online about, you know, here's how to extinguish a lithium ion battery fire. I don't, I don't, I read the first paragraph and then I keep going because you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you, you can't, it's got to run its course, you know, so on, on, on and on it goes, you know, but, but that's kind of what we're doing. And, and I, I look at my part of my job also, David, as to, to bring the Bureau closer to operations and, Closer to the marshals and closer to everybody else that we work with, EMS, you know, because we 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 have we have certain expertise not everybody has, and well, but the thing is we're slowly letting them know what that expertise is, and here's how you can count on us. So we're getting the calls; they're calling us. They're calling us now. We're getting to the point where they're calling our special inspections unit to to, to the scene of work and fires, you know, which which was something they they did something 25 years ago with that, but now we're bringing our inspectors to the scene of a fire and they want to know, can we put the people back in the building? Is the sprinkler system back online? Is the fire alarm system back up? You know, that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a little bit more to go, but, but we're making some headway, but internally in the bureau, we're just doing stuff we never did before. And that's the beautiful part. That's why I look forward to going to work and walking every day, say, what are we doing? It's new today, guys, you know, and, and the other part of it is, you know, that thing build that they will come. 
You know, one of the things I found, I heard when I got back to the bureau, there's three or four guys that, that are working there from the 80s when I was there, by the way. They all got 40 years in, in the place. So one of the things I heard from them is we don't do any training. I said, oh, good. That's why I'm here. You know, with training, there's no training. They go to probate school. They, they never come back to training again. They never get ongoing. Uh, we're trying to, you know, the guys in Sprinkler and Standpipe, that's all they know. You know, so like we're doing these uh, continuing education classes. Anybody can sign up for anything. You know, we I got I got one day posted. You could do fireworks in the morning and you could do standpipes in the afternoon. Great day. Okay. I got the marshals coming and we're doing Austin Austin recognition. Got fire officers doing fire uh, uh, fire operations, all, all kinds of stuff, code stuff, just mixing it all up, trying to make a good, interesting day. And and they're coming. They're coming. We said, listen, we're, we're doing continuing ed. We're doing this this uh, academy for soup. We retroactively put 200 supervisors through that that uh, supervisor academy, that leadership academy that we put together. And now as the classes get promoted, now we got a class coming in in March. we got the 20, 24 new promoted guys, so we're going to run a six-day for them. So, so it, it's it's been it's been pretty good, you know. The, the city has its challenges, as you know, internally and externally. But uh, I'm glad I'm back. Uh, I'm, uh, I, to me, and and we, we went over my my quick resume this morning. But uh, this morning, it feels like it was this morning. It was an hour and a half ago, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty funny, huh? This morning, I said. But but at at, at, at the very end of the day. I, I couldn't think of any better way to finish out my 50-year career than to be back with the city again and, and uh, retire out of New York. So uh, we're, uh, we're, we're doing okay. That's awesome. Everything's good, man. That is. That's awesome. Um, so you're teaching out at FDIC this year, right? I got a class. Yeah, I put a class together a couple of years ago. I, I did it two or three times called Fight the Fire, Not the Building. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a look at commercial buildings and what they had, what the built-in features in a commercial building, and how to use them to your advantage. Right. Whether it's sprinklers, standpipes, whether it's a fire door, firewalls, you know, not open, don't open everything up. And so we we we, we kind of go over a lot of the built-in fire protection features and how to use them, and we do tactical tips and kind of work that all in. So I'm I'm scheduled for that on Wednesday afternoon. What time Wednesday? I put you on a spot. Uh, I don't. Know. Actually, it's it's uh, is it Wednesday or Thursday? I think it's Thursday from from three thirty to five thirty. Okay. I'm teaching I'm Wednesday, say. so uh, if if you're Thursday, I'm okay. going to go to your class for sure. But I'll tell you, uh, it doesn't matter what day you're going. So I've I've taken classes from you since I started out in this thing. So uh, you know, a uh, couple times at FDIC, I've sat in on your class. Um, I, I tell anybody to make sure that the that listening to to sit in on a class, it, you make it fun. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's just a ton of knowledge and I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that to put you on a spot. Cause I know you, you're one of them guys that like, you know, that gets awkward for you, but I'm just telling you, like, I, like I said, when we started the show, I meticulously and strategically pick the people that I want to put on my show. You know, I, I let, I let chief Rhodes, he, he, he offered one guy for me for a few months from now. And I was fine with it because, you know, one Rhodes is the boss and two, I knew the guy's background and it was relevant for, for, for this show. But, uh, every guest I've ever had since Bobby gave me this show back in November of 18 was the first time I ever did when Bobby gave it to me and we called it networking for success. And I've never interviewed anybody that I didn't pick. You know what I mean? Um, because yeah. they're people that I've learned from. Everybody, everybody that I've ever had on this show is somebody I learned from. So I, I try to share share that with the, with anybody who listens because it's like, well, I've had some successes 
through this thing of ours. And it's because of people like yourself, you know, uh, people that I was, I was fortunate to be able to have it be an impression on me, give me knowledge. So I say to everybody, if you're going to FDIC, one, go to FDIC. I got how, you know, things are in the country financially, economically, you know, chief, you know, you're going to run into everybody who's anybody in our thing out there. And, uh, and, and, and it's just awesome. You know, I'm like a kid every time I go out there and I get to teach out there, you know, um, go out, take as many classes as you can. Don't just take classes because somebody has a famous name. I'm not trying to discard what they what they say. But like, you know, if if you took somebody's uh, class, you know, uh, for for one purpose, then take another class for another purpose, because there's every type of class that class out there. And like, that's what I'm saying about your class, like. You know, anytime that I'm able to sit through uh, somebody who was an impression on me, I, I learn something new every time I get to sit in a class with them. Just today, you know, tonight, whatever, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm, I'm writing notes, you know, while, while, <laughs> seriously, you know, because they're just good things, you know, they're good for me. So, you know, you had said early on, always be a student of what we do. You know, you, you feel like you're still a student of what we do. I think that's probably why you're still so good at instructing because you stay very relevant with your ear to the ground and your finger on the pulse, you know? Um, but I, I would, I would, I would tell anybody, I would challenge anybody, go to FDIC and make sure that they look you up and take your class because it's a great class. You're a great instructor, you know, and there's a ton of knowledge just in all your experiences. You're the real deal. You know, there's no, there's, you know, the guys break my balls, you know, uh, I say Fugazi because, you know, from where we come from, that's like kind of a normal term, you know, you don't have to be Italian to use that. You know what it means, you know? And, Right. And, you know, I say it in my class, I say, you know, don't be a Fugazi instructor. You know, we, you know, like I say to people, like, like when I recommend somebody, I don't mean that like I'm somebody who's, who, 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 whose endorsement matters, but I can tell you that I am very much a student of craft and I hold what a training officer is supposed to look like or a fire truck is supposed to look like pretty high. So, you know, uh, I'm telling you, like, you've been a, a major impact for me. And I tell anybody that's listening that that's able to take anything from you to make sure that their ass sits through it because it's going to be good shit. I appreciate that. Thank you for your kind words. Yeah, I, you know what, and and I and I think it's just it's for the love of the job. You know, my good friend Rick Lasky, he kind of coined that it's for the love of the job, but but it it is. It just is. You know, it it becomes if if you don't have the passion. You know, Rick's famous line. You know, if you don't want to do this, it's okay. You know, Walmart's always looking for people to stock shelves. Go stock shelves at Walmart. You know, it's, so you know, and 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 if you're not if you're not good at it, or you don't think you're good at it, then you practice. And and you know, and and we told our, our new adjuncts, you know, here are some tips that you need to to work on. Practice with your family. Do it in front of your kids. Do it in front of the mirror. You know, and and I and I let them in on a little something. I said when when I get a call now to to, to speak, okay. Like I just did the keynote uh, at Union County Fire Academy two weeks ago. Okay, so they they needed they needed eighteen to twenty minutes. You know, I got fifteen keynotes in the box. I pick one out that I, that I want to do, and I dust it off and I update it, make it current, blah blah blah. And then I then I'm either in my office where I am now in the house or at work, and I tell I tell my wife I'm not talking to myself. I'm not on the phone. I'm rehearsing. She says you're rehearsing. Even the guys at work, you yeah. It's got to be 18 to 20 minutes. I can't ramble for 45. They're going to get the hook, you know? So, yes, I rehearse, I, you know? And I had one thing that I that I did for the job that was a 45 to 50-minute introduction to the bureau that I was talking about. And then they had me come upstairs t- 
to the chief of departments meeting with the staff chiefs and do it for them. But they told me I only had 17 minutes. I had to get 45 down to 17. So you got to take a couple slides out and you talk like the enemy's coming up Flappish <laughs> Avenue. You know? so, it's right. <laughs> you know, so, and I got it done. 17. I, I did it. I actually did it in 19. I told the boss I own two minutes, yeah. you know, but you, you got it. You rehearse. You, you make it as good as you, as it could be. You know, so uh, that's that. Yeah. Good. I love it. All right. So uh, anybody who's who's listening to shows, watched the show before they know, I have this one question. I literally ask everybody uh, that I have ever interviewed. Um, I find it very relevant. Like, I, you know, um, while I, I agree that we don't get to write our legacy, that's not our place. Others write it for us. Right. You also contribute to what is written in there, because if you're a complete jerk off, guess what they're going to write? That guy was a jerk off. So um, what type of legacy do you want to leave behind in everything that we've done in, in our thing and everything that you've done for all of us in our thing? Well, you, you know, Dave, uh, le- legacy is a, a tough word. It is, you know, and, and I heard people throw it around and this is going to be my legacy and that's going to be my legacy. You know, people throw it around and, and, you know, we had somebody throwing it around recently. It's pretty interesting. I'll, I'll give you a quick story uh, at the job. Uh, and and one guy said the only people who will leave a legacy here in New York City in the fire department are the guys whose names are on the plaque in the lobby. You familiar with our, with our lobby with our lobby plaque? Okay, that's the only people who leave a legacy in the New York City fire department. Everybody else, you come and go, and there's hundreds of thousands of people over over the last 150, 165 years that have come. So that word legacy is tough for me. For me, my legacy is my family and my daughter. I got a successor. She lives in Pennsylvania, by the way. She lives in, uh, she's in West, uh, West Chester. She's in West Chester outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, she's a successful woman in business and, and she's a great kid. She's kind, she's compassionate and she, she's, uh, charitable and all those things that, that you hope your kids are going to be. So, so hopefully she's my legacy from the job. Uh, I, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to know that that I've able I was able to give some decent advice to some people. You know, uh, it basically like leave it better than you found it kind of stuff. You know, and I tell firefighters, career volunteer, touch it every single day, touch it every single day. And and it, the, the 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 story I use is uh, like them or not, you know, you like his music, you don't like his. I'm a Billy Joel guy. All right. Billy Joel tells a great story. Ten years ago, he had a flu. This is before COVID. It was the real flu, right? And he says, I'm in bed two days. He's doing an interview. So I'm in bed for two days. He said, I finally got out of bed. He says, and I'm, I'm kind of crawling. I got a blanket over my head, and I, I got 103, and I'm walking to the bathroom. He says, and my, my piano is, is in my great room. I got to walk past the piano. He said, I had 103 for two days. He said, I'm so weak. He said, I could hardly pick up a glass of water. He said, I walked over to my piano and I played for five minutes. And then I went to the bathroom and went back to bed. And the next next day I did the same thing. And the great singer Frankie Valli from the Four Seasons said in an interview, I sing every, he's in his 80s. I sing every day, in the shower even, 15 minutes every day. I tell young people, I just told them at, at that graduation two weeks ago, you need to touch this thing every single day of your life. If you're a career person, you touch it on your days off. Even if it's a quick article online, uh, a magazine article, 
read something, read, read, touch it every single day. If I, those are the kind of things I'm, I'm trying to impress upon younger firefighters today to, 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 so they can be as good as they can be and carry the fire service forward. Touch it every day. Uh, uh, in, in, instill the passion in yourself and then show the compassion on the outside. Uh, I just read a great little article on customer service. A guy wrote it from New Jersey. Uh, I don't know if it was on Firehouse or Fire Engineering, but he talks about customer service. And it goes back to kind of the, to the Brunacini thing, but he's doing stuff in his department with the Brunacini model. You know, my favorite Brunacini story is, is that they kept going to this old lady's house. She kept calling. And every time they walked in, the, 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 the clock was flashing 12. So she really needed the clock set, right? And, and the way he tells it, Alan, the way he told it actually was he says, in three months, going there like twice a week, he says they were doing a hair for her, putting her up in curlers. They were cooking lunch for her, you know. So and and then he then he tells that my favorite one is really with the the, the the contractor who had the heart attack pouring concrete. I don't know if you ever heard that story. It was a, a father and son. They were pouring a driveway, and the guy took a heart attack. The ambulance took him. The guys on the engine smoothed out the, the cement and finished yeah, they, the I job. Yeah, I was going to say they they float they floated it because he had already had it run. They float and they floated it to finish the job for him. Yeah, yeah I know that's true. So, so it's it's that compassion for the people. Don't ever forget right. that you're in this for the people. And and we have the public trust. I talk about that a lot. The public trust. You know, th- there's no other job in the world. There's no other service in the world where a father holds a door open for three burly firefighters and say, my daughter's room is in the back. Go ahead. You know, she's laying there. She's 19. She's in a 90, but she's got 104 fever. The kid is sick. And he sends three burly firefighters right back to her. That's the public trust, man. And her jewelry is out and his wallet's on the table. And nobody, nobody's even thinking about that. we got that public trust. Right. I tell them don't break the public trust. Uh, and then, of course, I think the, 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 the last and, and one of the most important thing is, is the health and safety of our firefighters. Uh, we, uh, my generation, we took it upon ourselves to really, really uh, f- uh, fire up the cancer awareness and the wellness thing, and whether it's mental, mental, mental wellness or physical wellness, <clears throat> and to, to try to, to to lick it in our generation's time, so the next generation doesn't have to think about it or do it. Um, uh, what 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 my my story is the way I picture it is twenty five years from now. 25 years from now, there's a rookie class, there's a probie class. And in their essentials book, whichever essentials book they use, there's 10 of them now, right? In the essentials book, there's a, there's a, there's a something in the introductory chapter that says there used to be, there used to be a firefighter cancer support network. They've been put out of business. We licked that. We, we got that. There used to be, you know, CISD teams and whatever else, you know, we have mental health. You know, so I, I that's that's kind of we took on that obligation. When I say my generation, I'm am much older than you, but the guys like you know Billy Goldfeder and the, the my, my people in my in my era to try to leave it better than we found it, and yet get things in motion so your generation can take it and run with it and say, all right, yeah, in 25 years we don't need a cancer support network anymore. We don't need right. a National Fallen Firefighters Foundation anymore, right. and that kind of stuff. So. That, that's that's kind of that's kind of what you want to leave. I, I just want to leave some good thoughts in people's heads to take the ball and keep running it to the goal line because we got a little bit of work to do, but we're going to be fine. We got smart people coming into this job. Yeah. We're going to be okay. Yeah, I love I love that outlook. Um, 
So before I wrap it up, you got any other final thoughts uh, or final words on anything that you want to say? I, I, well, first of all, th- thank you for for having me on. This was this was an honor and a pleasure yeah, for, for me, me to sit, sit and catch up with you. It's been a long time, but uh, but I, 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 you know, you, you put yourself in the spotlight. You know, you 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 published a book and, and you're lecturing around. So now 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 you're being watched. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, and now you're chief of department. So so it's this is your turn. It's your turn. You're on the big stage now. I appreciate you know, you're, that. You're, uh, yeah, yeah, it's your turn, and you earned it. And 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 I just my my I guess my parting word is good, good luck. But this has nothing to do with luck. We use we use the word look good luck a lot. But and I tell people this has nothing to do with luck. This is hard work. It's perseverance, passion, compassion, studying, reading, crossing your t's, dotting your and just being a good person. Just being a good person. And we we talked about that. Also, I had an opportunity to bring people into one of my departments, and and the guy was a, a real a real smart, uh, uh, good firefighter in another place, but wasn't a good guy. I said, well, you know what? We have our share of, of, of uh, knuckleheads. We don't need another knucklehead. Bring me, bring in a younger kid who doesn't know as much. We'll train him. Don't worry. Right. You know, let's bring good people into the fire service, career volunteer. Otherwise. Right. I'm trying to do that That's now. It. It's one of the things that I'm dealing with is the, uh, unpopular decision of, of recognizing that I can look past the talents and abilities and, and I can focus on the attitude and I need to, I need, I need to build an organization that, that we can impression the right attitude. So I appreciate yeah. you saying I'll, that because I didn't I'll, even I'll tell you that I'll and I'm dealing you. with it. I'll just cross, I'll just caution you. Just go slow. Go slow. Firefighters hate two things. They hate change and they hate when things don't change. Right. Okay. So go <laughs> Spoon feed. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know, but this was a pleasure. Thanks, man. No, no, thank I you, man. You. I love you. I appreciate you doing this. I, I appreciate you being a part of uh, where I'm at. You know, whether you realize it or not, I I knew it, and that's what that's what's that's what's important. That's that's the thing point I want to make to the to the listener, the audience is is you know you, you you're you're a guy that was my instructor years ago, and and uh, and I never forgot that. And that's how important you are, you know, and. You don't even realize how important you are to somebody years later, you know. So thank you. Yeah. Ten four. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, be safe. And uh, everybody else listening, everybody stay safe. This is Dave McGlynn with Fire Engineering Podcast, the training officer. You guys take care. Thank you. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. IFSTA is dedicated to advancing firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, instructor resources, and student study materials. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training content has made us a fire service leader. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.